Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, May the 27th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And on the line with Ms. Stephanie Cook. Hola. And Mr. Steve Say. Hello. All right. We are all back together. In the sense of the word, we are back together. <laughs> um... Uh, of course, Steve and Stephanie are on Skype, but we uh, have the gang together. Um, uh, we'll, we'll just start out, Steve. Last week, um, you weren't here, and uh, you know we kind of shared our, our, our thoughts with you guys, with you and, and for Bronwyn. But I, I, d- I wanted to leave it up to you to kind of talk about w- what happened. So you want to take a couple minutes right at the top of the show and just let everybody know what's going on. Yeah, um, I'll, I guess I'll clue in everybody in. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say thank you to um, everybody that's a part of the Talking Comics community between Twitter and Facebook and private messaging and emails. Um, we got a lot of support over the past week and a half, and I just want everybody to know that it meant a whole lot to us. And, um, you know, just reaching out like that really, really made the week go by uh, a little bit better. Uh, as to what happened, unfortunately, um, my girlfriend's father, uh, Terry Kelly, had a massive heart attack um, one evening and uh, did not make it. And, you know, one of those things where he is a super active guy, plays hockey, um, woodworking, does all of these, all of these really super energetic things. And, you know, you never know when things can happen, and unfortunately, he was uh, taken from us way too soon, and sent uh, you know some pretty devastating shockwaves uh, throughout family and friends. Um, one of the things about him, I will say, is that you know I've been dating my girlfriend for about two and a half years, and uh, I've met a lot of really amazing people here in Canada. But as far as friends, he was my first friend. When I when I got here, he was the first person that I identified with, and just really got comfortable with. Um, he was a comics enthusiast. I was introducing him to a lot of things. He was a big Jeff Lemire fan, um, quite the fan of Kate Beaton and and other uh, Canadian-born comic creators. And uh, we just shared a lot of com- a lot in common. And uh, it was a really really sad thing to have happened. Um, but we're doing well. We're you know taking it one day at a time. It's got its highs and lows, but um, you know. Not to not to kill the podcast with with, uh, with sad thoughts, but in all seriousness, uh, we're doing okay. And again, thank you to every last one of you uh, who sent out positive vibes uh, to myself and to Bronwyn. Uh, it meant the world to us. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Let's talk some comics. All right, yeah, there we go. indeed, let's talk some comics. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff came out this week, and we uh, we have a lot of listener questions this week as well. Uh, we we put out the call. We're doing a listener question show this week, and we got a ton of ton of responses. Um, so thank you guys so much for for all of that. 
and we'll get to a bunch of them a- a- as we go along uh, during the show. Um, but uh, Steve, before we before we go into lightning rounds and all that kind of stuff, did you have a chance? We won't do any spoilers here. Did you have a chance to see the Flash finale? I have not. Oh man, oh. I, know. I thought I did. Man, the I, don't think I, I am. I'm at the Gorilla Grodd episode. That's okay, the so one where I have to pick up from. Okay, so you're a couple episodes behind. Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, Stephanie, are you saying you thought you did, but you're not sure? <laughs> yeah, because like, I thought the finale was the one I watched last night, but then I, I have an app called TV on my phone that you know I just kind of mark what I've watched so I know. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's another episode after that, and I was like, okay, maybe I didn't watch the finale. <laughs> so now I'm confused. <laughs> um I, I thought the finale was the one where these people fight this other person. Nope, that's not the finale. God damn it. <laughs> wow. Okay, I haven't seen the finale. Okay. Don't spoil um, it, Bobby. <laughs> no, I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> there was some fighting in the finale. There is some fighting in the finale, but yeah. she's talking really about there is a scene at the end of the penultimate episode where some characters from other another show comes over and helps oh. Barry out. Uh, no, that's not the finale. Parks and Recreation. Damn it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a Parks and Rec crossover. <laughs> Leslie Nope comes over and, and helps out. Um, so uh, yeah, the Flash finale aired. Stephanie has not watched it, even though she thought she did. Um, it's amazing. I'm the guy who watched it. I know. Yeah. And Bob doesn't even watch the show. Uh, yeah, we, when we were recording last week, I was talking about how it was going on while we were recording, and I was so excited about it. And uh, it definitely did not disappoint me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, there are not going to be any spoilers here, but. It for me, it did everything that I w- would want it to do. Um, it's got a great, uh, you know, science fiction uh, premise to, to the whole episode. Mm-hmm. It's got heart. It's got action. Um, it's got teases for for what's to come, and it really highlighted, I think, what the show did best over the entire year, which was to really focus on what makes Barry a hero more than just the fact that he can run fast and how the people around him in his life have helped him to get there. And, and the show really doubles down on that in, in the finale. And and I really loved that part of it. And there's also some just amazing kind of hooks for uh, other storylines and other characters and, and possibly, a, you know, a, a, a step into the multiverse. So uh, all that stuff is, is just, is just so, so cool. Uh, for for a finale to the Flash show, uh, I never I never thought that we'd be seeing th- this stuff. Yeah. So I mean, Bob, what did you think of it? Wait, I want to. One thing I want to say right away is I've only watched the first episode and nothing in between, <laughs> and I did not find it hard to pick up where I left off. I, mean, I missed a lot of stuff. I'm gonna end up buying this because mm-hmm. I just loved where it began and, and ended. But there are moments moments with his dad. Mm-hmm. They're incredible as we flash, pun intended, all <laughs> over the place in how he decides what it is he needs to do here, mm-hmm. it's very emotional without getting into melodrama, mm. which I really appreciate. It was genuine. Mm. And that's that speaks well for the, the writers, producers, showrunners, the whole team here. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, it's hooked me completely. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I watched it. Uh, when we got done recording uh, last Tuesday, I watched the finale um, nearly right away. And then... I watched it again the next morning because <laughs> uh, I needed to see it again. So, yeah, I mean, 
if we ever want to talk spoilers about it, we'll do something about that maybe maybe a little bit later on. But uh, just so people know, if they're wondering how the Flash has been, and and I think it's just it's done a great job through through its whole season. Um, you know, Stephanie and I talked about last week a little bit how you know when you have a twenty four episode show, twenty two episode show, there's going to be some dips in, in, in that mm-hmm. season. And I think the Flash had a couple episodes where you could go maybe that that episode wasn't needed, or maybe it was a little bit of a filler episode, but. Um, I, I, other than kind of those normal missteps for that long of a network show, I, I think it was a, a pretty stellar first season and one that got continually better uh, as it went along. So I can't wait to see where, where they go and, from, uh, after this. Talking Trousers correspondent, Hugh Perry. <laughs> uh, he watched Supergirl, the, the pilot. Yeah, it got leaked. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he... I, I don't know if this we can say officially because he just texted this to me, but he's like, <laughs> I fucking love this show already. Um, and then yeah, he, he just like quite happy. sent a bunch of like reactions along the way. Ooh, goosebumps. <laughs> Ooh, she's so cute. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Steph, this one line will make you fist pump. I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> like, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and like you. Jimmy is a dream boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hashtag. Hashtag. Uh, yeah. So, thank you, Hugh, for your early thoughts on um, Supergirl. I'm very much looking forward to it, um, and your enthusiasm. You know, especially the part where Jimmy's a dreamboat um, definitely solidified uh, my life choice that I wanted to see this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had two sort of questions along those lines. One of them is from NeuroChem, and it says, uh, and it, he's at Aaron DA14132151. That's long. Um, there was apparently like, you know, a million, 400,000 other Aaron Das on there. Oh, um, <laughs> any chance we can get a talking TV comic show? There's so much material out there that it's hard to ignore. Um, P.S. You guys make my week. Uh, well, well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm guessing your name is Aaron. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, I not that I I have also considered it in the past. Uh, obviously, because there is so much out there, and it seems to be continue to grow. Um, I think we're losing one. I think Constantine is going away, but we're gaining. I think two or th- two more next year. I think at least maybe three, depending on that Titan show. Mm-hmm begins so it they're just uh, the amount of them is just growing um but uh we only have so much time <laughs> so i mean but uh, maybe we'll have you know someone who joins us and wants to do that and oh yeah maybe absolutely yeah. maybe but uh as far as like the core group doing a, a talking tv podcast i would say most likely not going to happen by, by uh, the way i forgot that we are currently streaming live to our patreon um, we are. subscribers yeah. so i just got a text from hugh saying well, Jimmy was a bloody dreamboat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So thanks. Thanks, Hugh. Yeah, we for, should mention that. Uh, <laughs> from now on, every week, um, for $15 and up patrons, we are going to stream the, the recording of the show live. Uh, so if anything goes wrong, you guys will see it all just happen or hear it all happen. Or you won't hear it happen because something will go wrong and you won't be able yeah. to hear anything. So you guys will see how it really goes down. Um, and uh, Superbad Larry also says, what happens... Uh, when the networks are all superhero shows, Real Housewives of Wakanda or Survivor <laughs> Jotunheim. <laughs> I would watch Jay both Jonah, of those. Yeah. <laughs> Jay Jonah Jameson and Holstein meets the press, maybe. Yeah. Be good. There was a, and then there was a or lot Shark of... Tank. 
Um, yes. <laughs> uh, Mike, who's at Little Bastion, wrote a bunch back to him. Uh, Attilan's got talent. Um, said uh, Hell's Kitchen. Uh, everybody loves Ray Palmer. Um, <laughs> I do love Ray Palmer. Why doesn't Felicity love him? <laughs> uh, being inhuman. Uh, oh, oh awesome. nice. Girl meets the fourth world. Um, let's see. I think that's it. I just wrote X Factor. Yes. <laughs> it's already a TV show and it's a comic book. Um, but yeah, we have a bunch more questions to get through and we'll, we'll get through them as, as, as we go along. Um, but let's, uh, let's jump, jump in and talking about some comics. Um, Bob, you want to go first? Sure. Why not? Some lightning not? round time. You do um, me right now. Yeah. Done. 70, do your lightning round. That's it. She's done. All right. Uh, you have three minutes on the clock, Bob, and go. Starting with Shaft number six, where all the plot lines converge in a hard-hitting finale. It's sort of an origin for John Shaft. David F. Walker and Miss Bilkwee Everly weave a tapestry with threads both violent and poignant. Each in their own way to sort of illuminate John Shaft's struggles here as he tries to avenge the murder of the woman he loves and still honor her ideals of trying to do the right thing for everyone, protecting those who need protecting, which cost her her life in this series. Spoiler. Uh, just great stuff, and here's hoping there'll be more from Walker and Everly as they're only contracted for these six. Not good, but you know, if it's selling, it'll it'll go for there. So, mm-hmm. and then there's Sensation Comics number ten, which has two stories: VIP by Sarah Ryan and Christian Duche. Uh, in that first tale, Diana's called in by an old friend to keep a watchful eye on Esperanza, who's a young pop singer who's been receiving death threats and odd packages as she tries to move her career into the next phase. And as the villain rants during, you know, the finale, we need girls to stay girls. When girls try to take on these kinds of roles that they just aren't suited to, it also disempowers men. And the, one of the characters says, isn't that lasso supposed to have powers? And Wonder Woman says, the lasso compels truth, but it can't stop mansplaining. You've got to love Wonder Woman, right? Uh, That's perfect. There you go. In, in the second story, there's a dragon with a grudge against Hippolyta, and she comes. Uh, the dragon comes for Diana. It's just another story that everyone in this series so far has really highlighted all those great values that Dr. Marston put in place 75 years ago. So that's just continues to be great. Now, I didn't buy a whole lot of stuff this week. So finally, there's Avengers number 239 from 1984's Assistant Editors Month, where all sorts of weird things happened at Marvel, including Aunt May becoming the Herald of Galactus, for example. But in this book, a group of Avengers are guesting on Late Night with David Letterman when they're attacked <laughs> by the robotic minions of the dreaded... Fabian Stakowitz, embittered lotto winner. Roger Stern, Al Milgram, and Joe Sinnott uh, deliver a whole bunch of punchlines in a book that is certainly one of the Avengers' weirdest moments in their long history. And there, it's Assistant mm-hmm. Editor's Month. That's about it for me. I think I did about a minute and a half. Um, no, about two minutes. Okay. You, you were acting about two minutes there, Bob. Um, did you watch Letterman's final yes, it was, show? Yes, it was quite lovely. Yeah, very touching. Um, last, he went way over. Uh, mm-hmm. Last 20 minutes or so was just him talking to the audience, just sort of sitting there. Introduced his wife and, and son, who no one ever sees. Uh, lots of stuff with Paul and the the entire crew. The, the city basically had a whole bunch of presidents reading. A, <laughs> the long national nightmare is over, <laughs> just over and over again. Uh, I've been a fan for a very long time. I watched his morning show, which got canceled after six months before he became, you know, the late night guy who sort of changed the way those shows are. He's not Johnny Carson. He was always doing Steve Allen's version of the Tonight Show, sort of, as he did his late night. 
very smart about what it was he was doing. Just a little different. Not always the greatest interviewer of, as way back as, I guess it's, maybe it's 84, 85, uh, Cher was on the show and he said to her, well, you know, we've been trying to get you on since our show began and you just kept saying, no, why would you do that? And she went, well, Dave, frankly, you're an asshole. <laughs> and he said, uh, in case they bleeped that, of course, of course, you know, what she said was, I'm an awfully nice fellow. <laughs> and he said, to her, well, you know, a lot of people, I think, feel that way. And so they don't come on. She went, yeah, when you're into these people, it's great. If not, you might as well have packed a picnic lunch and just sat somewhere else. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a big fan. I don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, it's Stephen Colbert, yep, which could be Stephen interesting. Yeah. I will say the fellow who took over for Craig Ferguson, mm-hmm. I'm not feeling at all. Mm. Uh, Jim Condren, something I like that. Really, I don't know his name. Very kind of shrill. Very <laughs> sort of, okay, we'll see. Uh, I find that those guys, like, I... I that whenever those things get taken over, I, I feel like it takes a while for those new hosts to find their footing. Because mm-hmm. nobody liked Jimmy Fallon when he took over late night, and now he's the host of The Tonight Show. Yeah. And one of those people that everybody seemingly loves. So I, I think that it takes some time. I mean, I think that people also, when mo- most people when Ferguson started, were like, who's this guy? He's weird, and he doesn't really yeah. do interviews the same way as everybody else. and. All, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like it takes those guys time to to kind of get their footing and, and find where, where they really are uh, gonna go. But yeah, I, I didn't I, I I didn't watch it. I I've never really been a big fan of. I was never a big fan of either Letterman or Leno. I always looked Letterman more because he seemed more intelligent. That sounds really yeah. awful, but he's always seemed more intelligent to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I liked his wit, but I you know I I just felt like. I mean, I don't know, even though since I started watching it, but especially the last 10 years or so, mm-hmm. didn't feel like there was much gas left in the tank as far as originality mm-hmm. or, or, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it was it was interesting, like during his broadcast, um, I forgot who was on Conan, but they both they, they had this Conan basically at one point and things said, turn off. Like, turn off us and watch yeah, Letterman. Yeah. Like, well, you TiVo, be TiVo us, DVR us and go watch Letterman. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel ran a, put a rerun on. Oh, okay. So I'm not going mm-hmm. against him now. Right. That's, uh, he's the reason I'm here. Mm-hmm. So just go watch Dave. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Steve, lightning round time? Yeah. You all ready? Yeah, I got a lot to say. I wrote a lot of notes, so I don't know. I'm going to go for my three-minute mark for sure. Well, you only have three minutes, so you better... Can uh, I have Bob's one minute that he didn't use? That's not how it works. Oh, damn it. It's not like trading carbon emissions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Let's right. do this. It's like a D- Letterman joke. All right, <laughs> and go. All right, first up is Bandette, Volume 2, Steelers Keepers by Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover. Bob spoke about the book about two weeks ago, and I just wanted to add my thoughts. Uh, I thought it was just as charming as the first volume. I enjoyed getting uh, to know the cast of characters better and see them return. Uh, really excited about uh, like what's going to come next. And I think it's really cool in that I read both volumes one and two back to back and realized something uh, that's special about this book is that like uh, the adventures of Superhero Girl, it kind of gives off its own uh, unique energy and, and keeps bringing me back and making me fall in love with the characters more and more. So that was a delight amidst the uh, negativity that was floating around in my life for a few days there. Next up is Mouse Guard Fall uh, 1152. 
I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's by Peter uh, David Peterson and an, uh, from Archaea. This is a positively brilliant and both art and story. Uh, just this massive, massive book that reminds me of like something that I would have borrowed from the library a thousand times while growing up. And what it's about is a forest kingdom of mice who have always um, like remained a united uh, force within the forest. And like all of the dangers and predators, they would band together and they would fight off the elements. Now it's come time for a kind of like a rogue mouse that's going under the moniker the Black Axe has kind of seized a couple of the mice and brought them over to his side and is looking to go after the royalty and go after the territories and make it his own and have the kingdom ruled under just one person instead of a democracy. Um Really, really amazing the way that uh, Peterson has just established this ridiculous world, like overflowing with a sense of history and there's movement and there's personality to the action sequences and the art. It's got just amazing, amazing um, like storytelling elements and, and there's a mystery going around and it's just really engaging. And like has got this really satisfying conclusion at the end, yet it completely sets itself up for a logical continuation uh, at the end of the book for volume two, which is the winter book. Um, and then there's a third volume to this series in particular, and then they followed up with Legends of the Mouse Guard, which I believe is another three volumes at this point as well. Uh, and the last book that I wanted to talk about was Goner's volume one uh, from Image. It's called We All Fall Down. Uh, this is a series that I spoke about quite a few months ago when number one came out. It feels like it was ripped right out of the 80s, kind of like a Monster Squad meets Hansel and Gretel type of deal. And it's about a brother and sister that lose their uh, famous supernatural hunter parents in a battle against an enemy from the family's past. And they're forced to take up the family business. But the problem is, is that they're inexperienced due to their lack of training and their age. Um, the art has kind of like a Humberto Ramos vibe to it, uh, which lends itself to like some really amazing creature designs and action-y moments and stuff like that. Um, the one thing I'll say about it is the writing is solid, but somewhere between issues three and five, things get super, super dense and kind of confusing. Luckily, it all comes together quite nicely in the end and makes for one hell of a finale. And there's even like a grimoire, uh, grimoire in the back of the book to kind mm. of school you on who and what everything is uh, that you learned about gearing you up for the second arc uh, that should be happening in a few months. And there you go. Nicely done. All right. Yeah. There you go. Um, all right, cool. Uh, it's interesting here you talk about goners because I have I, I read that first issue. Yeah. Uh, of that book and I was like I'm just going to get this in trade because I do like the idea of the story but I don't think I'm willing to go month to month on it so, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> so you definitely think it's worth reading though? Well I'll tell you this um, for nine ninety nine, you're getting like a lot of book there's um, between between the grimoire and all of the um, kind of sketches and stories about how the book came together um, you're getting six issues plus all of that stuff for only ten bucks Um I don't know if you personally, I think you'll enjoy it to a point, but like I said, between issues three and five, things kind of get a little muddy in that, like, they set things up or they mention things that I didn't feel like I had the information to know what it was they were talking about. Like, the story gets really, really big, almost, I wouldn't say unnecessarily so, but maybe a little bit bigger than it needs to be. 
Um, but I will say this, like in issue number six, everything that I was either confused about or felt was like out of my depth as far as, as part of the story comes together in the end and really like pumps you up for more information. So right. if that sounds like something that you would be into, you can totally either pick it up or borrow it from me. Cool. Borrowing it is probably the more likely scenario. Yeah, I mean, it's got like, like I said, it's got like a Monster Squad Goonies uh, kind of vibe to it. The creatures are really cool. I just, there were some relationships in the book that I didn't quite understand. Like these hunters that they work together, they have a past. And like two of them don't like each other. And I don't know if I ever caught why. So like they're constantly at odds for something that we haven't seen that maybe they're going to like flash back to it in another arc or something. But I have no, like I have no frame of reference for that rivalry. So mm-hmm. whenever that rivalry is happening in the book, I'm kind of like, all right, you know, whatever. And looking to move on to the next thing that I can latch onto that I understand. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, entertaining. And, cool. and, and like I said, like, I was really, I, I really kind of went negative on it for a while, but then by the end of the sixth issue, I closed it, and I was like, you know what? I'm like, that was actually pretty damn satisfying. So, you know, hot and cold, right. but wound up being uh, pretty good. All right, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right, I'm putting three minutes on the clock for myself here, and go. Um, Mad Max Fury Road, Nux and a Morton Joe uh, from Vertigo. Very cool. If you if you if you love the movie and you just want more of yes. what's going on, uh, looks really nice. Uh, cool backstory for for two really good characters in the movie. Uh, Daredevil fifteen point one is is more of an anthology issue here. It takes place actually takes place before issue fifteen of Daredevil, which um, we haven't seen yet. There's um, a couple different stories by a couple different artists and and, and writing teams that kind of goes through Daredevil's history a little bit. Uh, n- nice issue, obviously not the same as getting a regular um, issue of it, but but still a, a nice thing there. Uh, Bloodshot Reborn number two, Jeff Lemire. Um, it was a good, a great continuation of a great first issue. Um, I don't think it lost anything to, to issue number two. Still retains kind of that amped up, slightly serious, slightly ridiculous uh, tone it's been going with in the first issue, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, some Secret Wars tie-ins. Tie uh, Battle World, uh, number one. Uh, the first story by uh, Joshua Williamson and Mike Henderson, um, who are, are the Nailbiter team, is a story in which... The Punisher has he's both the Punisher and has the spirit of Doctor Strange kind of inside of him, and it was awesome. I I, I really loved like both stories were fun. The second story is uh, Ed Brisson; he's doing a Modoc story, but I really really loved the first story of Joshua Williamson and the Punisher. A lot of fun. Um, Ultimate End number one, battle, another Battle World tie-in. A little confusing, but in the end, kind of cool with this idea that they remember a cataclysm happening, but they don't they remember the wrong cataclysm, so that they're kind of their memories are all fudged up. Um, Insufferable, uh, number one, was also very cool. Republishing of a webcomic by Mark Wade and Peter Krauss. Um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency uh, took Douglas Adams' work, Douglas Adams's work and kind of brought the spirit to, to the comic. Went really, really well. Oh. I was surprised, actually. Um, I'll talk to you a little more about that, Bob, after, because yeah, you have yeah. a prop here with you. And uh, I picked up volume two of Manifest Destiny, uh, which is Insectia and Amphibia, I believe. And I think it was even better than the first one. Uh, really, really love that series. Such distinct characters, uh, such interesting dynamics, and 
just like a, a great pulpy cool premise that I think doesn't wear out its welcome you know it, it just it continues to be fresh and entertaining sometimes funny sometimes serious and just works really really well so I, I, I just love that series and I hope that um, it continues to go um, I, I might start picking it up monthly now because uh, they're only two issues into the next trade oh, you'd be four months out yeah I'm yeah. four months out and I really want to read it so <clears throat> I'm probably going to start picking that up um, nice. but I really really loved it yeah, and that's it. Oh, and the Deadpool book, Secret Secret mm-hmm. Wars, I liked it, but it was just a little too manic for me. Um, I mean, you might say that that's part of the course of Deadpool, but usually Colin Bunn is a little bit better to my taste of keeping it under wraps, but this one was just very, very manic. So I liked it, but didn't love it. Yeah, I tried it in the store. I had the same feeling. Yeah. It's like oh, I just hopped all over the place, which is... We're okay for half a book, yeah, maybe, but it just went a little. It was very, uh, it was awry. fun, but it, at, at a point, the references just got to be too much for me to enjoy it any other way, but just for little vignettes uh, 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 of humor. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was fun, but just not not for me. That's it's the type of Deadpool book that usually I don't, I won't read. Okay. I like I like him to be a little bit more centered th- than that. That's just the kind of Deadpool I like to read. Um, but yeah, uh, but about the uh, the the Dirk Gently. Book. I, I haven't read it since it came out, which is 30 years or so mm-hmm. ago. But, I mean, the bookstore that I always used to shop in, uh, she, the lady who ran it knew I loved Python, so it got me started with the Hitchhikers. And then when this came out, I was, well, you, you're going to have to read this. And this was sort of, I don't know, film noir Python. It's just <laughs> bizarre and weird and, you know, strange ideas. And should I now be rereading this book or should I reread the comic? Well, the, the comic does not, from all I know, because I am a Douglas Adams fan, but mm-hmm. I've never read um, the Dirk Gently stuff. Um, from what I understand, it doesn't, it doesn't follow the books. It's, like a, okay. it's a separate story. It takes place either after the books or before the books. I'm not sure exactly what the deal is, but it, it's not a retelling uh, of the books. Oh, so I can do both. Yeah. It's uh, an origi- okay, I like this. It's an original story. Um, what I really liked about it was it starts off in kind of this um, this flashback to way back, you know, in like ancient Egypt times. And I, it just made me giggle. It's just a stupid, like, a simple little gag. But the emperor comes to these two guys who are like his buddies. You know, he was like, he's like a teenager and he just become yeah. emperor. His buddies. And I can't even say the first name, but it's like a, uh, Neferhotep Craig. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the fact that one was named Neferhotep and one was named Craig just yes. tickled me in, in, in that way. And the whole thing was cool because it was, it had a little bit of um, Sherlock Holmes t- to him, you know, that kind of uh, the way he's sussing it out. I like that it was such a detective story. Uh, I, I like that he's sort of alien in the way that he acts. You know, he's got sort of got like that Matt Smith and Doctor Who type of mm-hmm. feeling to him in, in a lot of ways. Um, I just enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was very witty. It was very interesting, and and something that made me want to go and, and read the books, which, which, which I haven't. Because I think, like most people, I've read Hitchhiker's Guide, but that's yeah. you know that's that's the extent of my Douglas Adams uh, knowledge. But it was it was a, definitely a cool book, absolutely. Um, so, Steve, you mentioned getting a, a trade. You mentioned getting Goners in trade, and we actually got an email question yes. that was was asking us about this. It said, um, <coughs> first of all, he says, Bob, will you adopt me? <laughs> this is by this is from Richard uh, Bulk. Uh, says, Bob, will you adopt me? Um, so you, you you can answer him later on yes. that, Bob. But uh, where do you all get your trade paperbacks from? 
Um, there has to be a site out there that has proven to have great selection and great prices aside from Amazon. Yes, so, there is. Yeah. Steve, why don't you take the, take the horn on this one? Um, our good friend, Justin Townsend actually clued me into this website, but, um, if you go to instocktrades.com, uh, you will find not only a incredible selection of hardcovers and books and even some stuff that's out of print, but you will more than likely find it for at least 42% off the cover price almost every time. Um, if you do $50 or more, your shipping is free. Although I do recommend that if you can spare it, pay the $4 for the shipping because you'll get your books a lot quicker. Um, the last order that I put into them took about a week to process and go out. Um, but then again, I chose the free shipping, meaning they can do it whenever they'd like to do it. Mm. But, um, I mean, you can clean up. Like you can, you can clean up for $50. You'd be shocked that you could almost walk away with anywhere from four to four to five books, depending on what you're looking for. Um, and they often have, uh, sales. Whereas like when I talked about, uh, what's that book? Uh, Copperhead a couple, a uh, couple months ago, I got that for $4 off of that website. So, you know, I was able to pick up like three image trades that were nine ninety nine for almost the base price. It was it was pretty amazing. Um, so, yeah, um, InStockTrades.com is really uh, the best place that I can think of uh, to go besides Amazon. Amazon's got that sweet shipping if you're a, uh, a premium member mm-hmm. or whatever it is that they call it. But um, but yeah, I mean, if you if you live in the States, uh InStockTrades.com is the way to go. I feel like I'm doing a commercial for them right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. The prices are great. And I will say, too, it's really good for um, if, if there's like that omnibus you've been had your eye on or that right. deluxe hardcover, you know, which if you go to a store, you go to Barnes & Noble, um, you know, it's going to be $50, 70 $100. Yeah, like, I'll give you an example. Like yeah. I talked about uh, Invincible uh you know, I guess last the last time I was on the show, I talked about mm-hmm. Invincible, and immediately I want like I want those ultimate collector edition ones because that's the one that I got. So it you know they all need to be uniformed and whatever. They are about anywhere from like thirty six ninety nine in any like you know retail store or whatever. Um, they I got mine for twenty dollars a piece. So mm-hmm. for sixty wow. bucks, I got you know volumes two through five. Yeah. For for sixty bucks, normally it would have cost me close to a hundred. Yeah, I, I I will say this like um, I, I will generally go to a place like Amazon or in stock trades to get when, when I'm really kind of in the mood to recklessly shop for things and buy like a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, you know, or I've had big weeks or I'm having, but uh, I will say that I do try to whenever I can. If it's something that's reasonably priced, ten, fifteen dollars, I'll try to go as much as I can into a, a local mm-hmm. shop that stocks trades and buy oh, them absolutely. because I want to support them as much as I can. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend. Like it usually ends up being indie stuff that I buy those places because I'm sorry, it, it's not worth thirty dollars for a, a trade paperback yes. of, of like Marvel comics. It's just not worth it to me, you know. Right. Um, Marvel and DC, Marvel more than DC, but DC is kind of cut up them a little bit as far as pricing goes. The the way they price their trades is just too much to me, you know. Um, image, you know, the first trade is not is almost always ten dollars. The second one is usually fifteen, and they're usually kind of fifteen from from then on out. Um, and and fifteen dollars, you know, for six issues is is not a bad deal at all. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I'm look if I'm gonna buy like 
you know, five or six things, I'll go to one of those sites because I, I can get five or six things. Or, or if to me, like, I would never buy this if it wasn't four dollars. Like, right. I, that's that's when I would buy it, right? But it, like, because this week I went to Fourth World, um, which has a or has a great collection of trades, and I got Manifest Destiny. I got both volumes of Black Science, which I didn't have, and I got Nailbiter. You know, and nice. even though like you know that's fifteen, it's like it was like. For fifty dollars for for those four books or whatever, and you know it was it was I could have probably gotten them for a little cheaper uh, online, but uh, I got to support a local shop. Yeah. I mean, again, if your if your local shop is a bunch of dicks, like don't worry about it. Buy it online, <laughs> but it, but if you have people that you like that you want to shop from, like I would do it. Like um, some shops don't kind of don't they don't trade in trades very much. Mm-hmm. You know they don't have right. a lot of trades. Like Tor Comics is like our 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 kind of first string shop there doesn't doesn't do trades so you can't really support them that way but i i try to do that but again like for those big things like forget about it i'm not buying the jeff john's flash omnibus for 150 dollars sure. i'm gonna get it for cheaper it's just what's right. gonna happen like well, i mean it's it's situational ahead. too right i'm mm-hmm. um the my books of the week that i'll talk about later were bought inside the shop uh heroes which is actually congratulations to them is going to be up for an eisner uh mm-hmm. when those come around this year but um i mean you see something in the shop and and you pick it up, right? So I mean, both of these mm. books were uh, were shop bought, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're looking to pick up like those big orders, it's it's nice to check online and see what you can do. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But well, I was going to say it, it relates to what you say there, Steve, about situationally. If I know ahead of time, I go through the previews pretty religiously. Mm. They'll be in the store today for everyone to mm. peruse. If I see ahead of time, okay, this trade's coming out, and I want to order that, and my store, which doesn't do a lot of trades except one or two of the new ones each week mm-hmm. it's more about back issues you'll get it and i'll get a really great price mm-hmm. but there's no shopping there's no serendipity of right i need this today or i just want to read something different i you can't look so then you have to find those sort of places and barnes and noble they're better but it's full price unless oh, they're yeah. having one of those buy to get one free mm-hmm. right and then it's okay but then yeah. that's basically the price that everyone else is selling it for anyway and they're not giving you some great discount yeah, yeah. no I don't, I don't, and also I get, I get no sense of like community from buying something from Barnes and Noble. Yeah. <laughs> I might as well order from Amazon or in stock trade. So I'm going to get it from Barnes and Noble. Stephanie, how do you go about getting trades and such? Um, it depends. Sometimes Amazon is the best way to go a lot of the times, especially when they're new. It's really, really cheap to get uh, trades from there. And I don't have to pay for shipping. Uh, the sites that Steve, you were mentioning, um, unfortunately cost a lot to ship to Canada. Um, so for me, outside of that, when I don't use Amazon, I, uh, utilize used stores. Um, I've talked about them Uh a few times before, but BMV in Toronto is uh, a godsend. They have so many things that people trade in and, um, I like can't go in there without dropping like 200 bucks. (laughs) It's like a nightmare. Um, I, I've been better. I went there and I didn't spend anything the other day. Very proud. Um, but yeah, like BMV's great. And there's a lot of used bookstores around that do have a comic book section, you know, like on the East Coast in Seattle, um, half priced books is amazing. Um, Powell's, um, in Portland, and I think they have location elsewhere as well. Um, but you know, there, there are locations, uh, especially if you just, if it's a bookstore, a lot of them have realized that comics, you know, it's like they're not going away. Just we might as well accept that they're here. Let's make a <laughs> section. Um, and they'll have really decent comic book sections uh, for affordable prices. So 
Uh, if online isn't the way to go for you, check out a bookstore. Cool. Uh, and this person actually has a question just for you, Stephanie. Oh. It says, how can someone get involved at a con as a helper for an artist? I would love to spend a weekend assisting one. Yeah. Um, so honestly, the best way to kind of build that uh, friendship is to be online, you know, talk to them on Twitter and kind of get to know them that way because, you know, that's that's how things go nowadays. Uh, artists and writers are in their studios so much of the time and they'll take breaks to go online and chat with people they know there or people that are just really cool. And um, as you kind of cultivate that friendship online, uh, if they're like, mm, I'm going to be at C2E2, and you're like, oh, me too. Um just kind of broach the subject and be like, hey, like, I know we only sort of know each other online. Um, is there, do you need help with anything? Um, and if that doesn't work for you too, you know, kind of just getting to know them in person. Like, again, let's use C2E2 as an example. That artist um, is there and you're like, oh, we've been talking on Twitter. I'm so-and-so. Um, I know you've been at your table. Can I get you a coffee or can I get you a drink or like, you know, kind of just start being helpful and, um, you know, approachable and nice. Uh, obviously, if you're working at a booth, being personable is like a quality that you need to have. Um, so just show that you can be that person and you can be helpful and make yourself useful. Uh, artists especially need to help because uh, you know, people will come up to them while they're doing commissions and while they want to talk to them all the time, um, they need to get those commissions done for people who are paying a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, like the best advice I can give is to be personable and to cultivate a friendship. Um, start it online and kind of bring that to the shows. Um, bring water, bring, you know, I'm not saying it has to be out of your own pocket or anything, but just try and be as helpful as possible and um, offer. Don't be afraid to kind of put yourself out there and be like, do you need a break? Do you need to go to the washroom? I can watch your prints. Like, mm. um, I'll guard your portfolio with my life. You don't need to take your originals to the bathroom with you. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, just things like that. Just, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, those are great tips. Uh, we had two questions, actually, that were kind of along the same lines. One is a <clears throat> one is a uh, Twitter question. One was an email question. Uh, Jason Snyder says, what's the best way to disagree with respect? Debate is healthy and necessary, but often seems stunted by hyperbolic escalation. Why? Um, <clears throat> I, I will say that you one thing you have to understand, first off, is that when you're speaking to anyone online, um, and we all do it, it's just, it's, there's, no, there's no tone immediately. They can't see your face. They can't hear your voice. So what you might be thinking, saying as, as like a nice prodding question, it comes off as you snapping at somebody or making a generalization or or being a dick. You know that it comes off, and it doesn't matter how nice you are in real life or how nice you meant it. Um, if 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 they don't if they don't see it that way, if their temper is up already, when you when you say anything, they're gonna see it as an attack regardless. Um, which is why you know I get. Um, I get shit for this sometimes in some places, but I'm very big on being like, on saying, you know, for me or, you know, I just want to, just want to ask or what, and they seem like, oh, why are you like, you know, tiptoeing around what you want to say? And I'm not, I'm just trying to provide some sort of tone for what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say. Um, 
some people are not going to want to have a r- rational discussion with you o- online. It's just it's just the way it goes. A lot of people go to the internet to not have a rational discussion. They either don't want to talk, they just want to yell for a little while, and then and they want to feel like somebody's listening, but they don't actually want to interact. Or you know they 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 want to troll. So there are those people, but there are also plenty of people who who are are angry and go to the the site to talk the service to to talk, and they want to talk. It just there needs to be some there needs to be a dialogue back and forth before you can get it down. Uh, for me, I would say that I've had some pretty good interactions on on Twitter by keeping the conversation going for a little while. I mean, you can definitely see at some point if 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 it's someone you don't want to be talking to. Um, but sometimes what can start out with seemingly a very hostile conversation can turn into something interesting. Uh, but you know, you have to be willing to, the, the ego has to come down, you know, for, in order for a good conversation to be had, because a lot of people will say, and I'm not saying this is this person asking the question, a lot of people will say they want to have a discussion, but what they really want to do is, is say their opinion and have you disagree with them. That's what, that's what they want. And that's not a discussion, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, re- re- d- the way to disagree respectfully is you can say, like, I respectfully disagree. That's a great way to say it. I know it seems cloying, but it's it's not that. It's just you were saying, like, I, oh, yeah, but I have this point. And do you want, like, to, to talk about this? And if you'll be able to tell very quickly if they don't want to talk about it. And sometimes, sometimes it's okay if they don't want to talk about it. Not everything has to be a discussion. Not everything has to be drawn out. You, you just have to know when is the right time to dip your toe in the water and, and when is not. Um, if that person really wants to have a real discussion with you, take it somewhere else than Twitter because you can never really have, I think, for the most part, a great conversation there because you, 140 characters is not enough. Uh, and what will happen is even if you have a string of tweets that you're going to lay out that are like, okay, I have a point I'm going to make, 140 characters, and I'm going to get from one place to another. In the middle of those tweets, the person could react to something you were saying when your point's not done, and then your whole conversation is is thrown off the rails because they misstrewed something you were saying because you were coming around to a point. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you really want to talk to somebody, take it to email you know, or, or something like that because at least you can have a more long-form discussion. But that's the, I mean, that's the way that I, that, I, that I go about it, and I see it as far as those things go. Uh, Bob, I don't know what you think. Well, same sort of idea, though. I don't do the Twitter thing. No, but you do online email interaction. And the forums and whatever. Yeah. And some people are asking a leading question. They want to have an argument, or it seems they just want their opinion validated. Mm-hmm. And we all do that. There's no question about, I'm an arguer from way <laughs> back. It's, you know, it's my religion. But what what comes to it for me is so often, because of Twitter and the, the more short handed way we converse nowadays language loses its meaning a little bit and people don't always get that this sentence the way it's structured is now an attack before we've even begun yeah yes and i know you can't we can't always put little emojis and smiley faces (laughs) on everything and and that's great but just what you're saying for i i very often fall into for me in my opinion Mm -hmm. to my eyes and ears and Okay, I'm saying this, and it's your cranky old Uncle Bob, and I might not be right, but could be, but here's what I think why. I've had a couple of interesting ones in our time, uh, some that got me so upset that it was I was not even going to bother doing it anymore. <laughs> and we had we have in our community, we have some academics, you know, Mara and Carol, whatever, went, no, it's a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. You know, put your opinion out there and see what happens, and in one instance particularly, and I won't say who, but... We had one where it was it was about the art issue, mm-hmm. 
I ended up getting a lovely email back from someone that I was disagreeing with initially rather violently, but it changed as we went along to say that I hadn't thought of things in the way you put them before. And I started looking at my daughter and saying, ah, he's got a point there. Mm-hmm. So it would have been very easy to yell and scream, and then I'd have lost that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So it's, like you say, take it down, try to mm-hmm. find a way to have a conversation. Those people who want to have one are worth having one with. The other mm-hmm. ones, we agree to disagree, and you move on. Yeah. It, it's also, it comes to a lot of point where you, sometimes, and I don't know who you're talking about kind of talking to, but so, there's a certain point where you can't care what everyone is saying. If you care what everyone is saying, you're never going to be happy with anything. Because yeah. even before the internet, there are people who were just dickheads about things, you know? <laughs> so you're going to have to, you have to kind of mitigate that way. Um, you know, Seven, you have it a little bit differently, obviously. You know, I, I know that things are a lot tougher for, for women on the internet as far as having discussions. Um, how do you find these kind of situations to go? It's frustrating because, like, <clears throat> especially with, like, comics and the podcast, you know, Bob and I, I think, for the most part, tend to agree on a lot of things. Um, I am a future curmudgeon, apparently. There you go. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Uh, but, like, you know, I, Bobby can attest to this because I'm constantly, like, texting him. I'm like, why does everyone hate me? Because Bob <laughs> and I had the same opinion. <laughs> like, they love Bob, but because I'm a woman... Uh, Like, they hate the opinion, but they won't yell at Bob. They yell at me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, like, it's like, oh, you're such, like, you're such a bitch. You're such a this. You're such a that. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but Bob had the same opinion. They're like, oh, but we love Bob. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. Um, You tell him to come talk to me. I'll. I I know. I know. Bob, you take care of it. Um, But Clean house. That's what would happen. um, For me, it, it. really depends on how people approach me like some people can really have I can have really nice constructive conversations um in which we don't agree but it's pleasant like it's like oh okay this is your point this is my point I don't I don't necessarily like your point but I can appreciate um where you're coming from now that you're taking the time to talk this out with me but it kind of depends it it's a large chunk of like how you're putting it out there because um, some messages come across really hostile mm-hmm. um, initially. Like sometimes I'll wake up um, on Wednesday morning and I'll have said something and I wake up to like this message of people being like, you're wrong. <laughs> and that is not the way to have a constructive conversation. You know, be like, I heard you talking about this, but like – why this as opposed to this you know like that's kind of the way to go about that um not just say that you don't like my opinion um starting out with a negative statement towards my person is never going to end with us being chums um so like it's really important, even online, that you're careful about how you're wording things. Um, it's the most important when you're online because yeah. yeah, because that's the only thing you have is how you word things. There's no other way. And you're absolutely right. I mean, a big part of what you're saying is what I try to say all the time when we have discussions on the forums and other places is that don't just come to me and say, you guys are wrong and stupid. Like that's the, Because look, no matter, how, no matter how patient or kind the person you're talking to is, 
no one wants to be told they're stupid and wrong. Mm-hmm. So even if they are being stupid and wrong, you're never going to get anywhere with them by saying that. You, 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 constructive debate happens when you posit an idea of your own that can then be discussed. If you're just hiding behind calling something wrong, then you aren't wanting to have a debate. You're just wanting to tell somebody they're wrong, and that's not constructive criticism. <laughs> that's just criticism. Um, sorry, Stephanie, I cut you off. No, it's fine. It's yeah. you. You were a okay to take over that. <laughs> um, that was one I was called in a, in a roundabout sort of way. Not, not actually, no, it was a very direct sort of way. Backwards and primitive. That really doesn't get a good discussion going. No. <laughs> sort of the hackles go up and yeah. I, I wrote something I had to erase four different times. Just, and I, I kept getting madder and madder as I kept trying to write the answer. That's, that's like yeah. that. There's one person and you may or may not know who you are. Uh, but for a while, like for a string of podcasts, they would write comments um, on the podcast, like deliberately picking apart everything I said. And I would just be like, cool, cool I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to ignore this. And then one day I was just like, all right, like enough's enough. And Bobby's like, you can't write that stuff. Like, I had to like edit it like 12 times before I got it down to a thing where I was like, okay, this isn't going to be, this is, this is okay. This is okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, um, talking about you, David Goyer. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He usually frequents our forums. Um, uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, what about you? What um how do you deal with that kind of stuff? Like how do you deal with having like actual conversations online? Not necessarily with criticism, just with having kind of discussions with people online. Um I don't know. I mean I I, I keep my circle pretty small. Um usually the people that interact with me are people that I interact with on a pretty consistent basis. I've been lucky like that. Um, I certainly don't get the attention that Stephanie does uh, from the podcast in terms of people butting heads and basically just being rude. Um, I've had one or two like kickups of sand, but nothing lasting. Um, as far as like keeping it under control and stuff, I think it's it's important to use I statements because I, for me, it's for a, a long time, it was very easy to kind of lump opinions or or speak in like generalities and that doesn't necessarily work out when you want to get your personal opinion across and that's actually something I kind of had to learn the hard way um so my advice to people would be just to you know make sure that you you make it clear that your opinion is your own uh as far as not being combative just don't say combative shit like mm-hmm. be understanding understanding that when you become engaged in a conversation that there is going to be, you know, another opinion coming your way and you're going to have to analyze it on the fly. And you need to, you know, you need to keep your courtesies and your stuff at the ready because if you, if you misinterpret what people say and you jump to conclusions and you don't have all the pieces, you know, what could be a constructive and nice discussion could very, very quickly spiral out of control. And particularly when things are of a public nature, such as Facebook or Twitter, you know, very often you're not, you're not the only person that's having that discussion anymore. Like your stuff is very much public. So if you go off the rails and you start spouting stuff that perhaps you want to take back later, you can't because it's there and everybody's reading it. Or you can always go back and delete stuff, 
But then if you get called out for something that you said and it's not there, it's then you're going to look like you are completely wrong, mm-hmm. uh, which nobody likes. You know, it might be the case, but pe- nobody likes that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, be courteous. Understand the way that it works. Know that if you ask for an opinion, hopefully you'll get one. And you might not always like that opinion. And part of what makes people interesting and what, what you know, drives conversation is the differences in opinion. And a lot of the times hearing somebody else talk about something and finding out why they're passionate specifically about something can open up your eyes and show you a different side of it that perhaps you weren't thinking of going into that conversation. So, you know, be polite, open ears, open mind, and and go from there. And remember that everybody's watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I would say too, and this is like a hard thing for anybody, I think, um, to, to really kind of do it hard for me as well. But sometimes you just, you don't need to talk about the stuff with strangers. You know, I, I know sometimes it's something you want to do, but like sometimes you got to remember that there are probably people in your life that you know who know who you are, understand you, and, and maybe they also disagree with you, but you can have a conversation with them that doesn't kind of spiral into, you know, this stuff. Like I, I was talking about something and I was like, I, I was getting really upset about it online. I was like, I have a friend who I could just talk to this about and, and it would be just as inter- interesting for me, you know, so <clears throat> I, I went and did that, you know, I, I and, but I told him like there are certain things like absolutely that. I understand people don't have a lot of friends who maybe watch a certain show or read comics and they and they want the bigger opinion, but I, I think it's a good idea to find the people that you can have good discussions with and go to them and ask them the questions instead of just putting it out there for everybody mm-hmm. to see. But it's a tough thing. It's a really in this day and age, it's a very tough thing trying to kind of uh, make your way through that stuff. Um, Let me be a shill for our forums <laughs> because right over there, we have amazing group of people who are 99.9% respectful at every given moment. We occasionally have a little dust up. We have some nice disagreements, but it's really, when you, I've gone around a lot of internet forums that when we were starting ours to mm-hmm. see what was going on everywhere else, forums that ran for years had to shut themselves down because mm-hmm. of craziness and then shut themselves down again and ban hundreds of people and any issue of any depth spirals out of control within 10 posts. Mm-hmm. Every single, th- everything that's a big issue, it, it explodes. Mm-hmm. And, and it turns personal and ugly instantly. And yeah. that's just wrong. And we've, I've, we've had some interesting discussions, but ne- I've never seen one of ours mm-hmm. turn into that. So if people are looking for that discussion, let me tell you to head over to the forums and join up and have yourself a good time. Um, in, in kind of the same vein, and I think a lot of the, the combative nature comes from people have a really tough time when people don't agree with them, right? People, it's just tough for people to handle. Um, and uh, Benji uh, wrote us an email and asked, um, why do we think that fans seem to seek out reasons in this day and age to not enjoy something? Uh, he understands critics like nitpicking things, but why do people in general now seem to, seem to be more nitpicking th- than ever before? Um, Stephanie, what do you think? Um, I just think because we can. <laughs> That's probably yeah. exactly right, yes. Um... <laughs> Like, you know, the internet allows everyone to be a critic. So, mm. you know, when there's, when you follow so many people that are just like, well, here's my opinion. And it's like, damn straight. I also have an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and I really just think that's more or less it. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it, it, everyone gets to be a critic now because um, everyone knows that, and there are some people who do it just because they want to talk about something, but some people who do it because they know it will get them attention, right? So they know that if they say something inflammatory, even if they have, you know, 15 followers, if somebody yeah. retweets it and then somebody sees it, then they're going to have a conversation with somebody and maybe is above like their kind of weight class as far as exposure mm-hmm. goes, and they hope for that to happen. I think that, I think that, um, my problem, listen, people have always complained back and forth about, about things. Just now we have a grander scale in which to do it on. Um, and the real problem though, is the way that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because we all, for some reason, take it seriously. So we end up giving it the weight that it doesn't really have, you know, like the, the fact that, you know, you care what someone, some random person from some random place thinks about the show that you really like. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, why it doesn't it doesn't change how you feel about it. It doesn't it shouldn't change. It shouldn't be a point for discussion. And why does their opinion more important th- mm-hmm. than your own opinion? And not that people who criticize for a living have some like holy altar that they stand on, especially now because anybody can also start a blog and and and, and have a, yes. a have a critical thing. And it takes more than just writing criticism to be a critic. You need to you need to put some thought into it. You need to have a, a philosophy behind it, reason behind it. Um, and, and I think that, so I think that this problem extends out into all those places. Um, one of the things that Benji says in his email is he hates the criticism of, you know, it's not perfect. He hates that as like a, as like a, a buzz, a buzz phrase. And and I'm totally with him. That's one of the things that drives me the most crazy because if you're starting your, your, your critique at it's perfect. Now, anything less than perfect is is bad. It's a really weird, myopic way to think about things, right? Um, And it's you can see that you can see it extended to all forms of even reputable people who get paid for their 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 time, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sites and and blogs. Uh, So I think that you have to. More people are talking about it, so more people are going to have a problem with it. And people think that, and I've talked about this before. People think that if they're critical of something it makes them stand out because it makes them seem like they're discerning because they have a problem with something. If they're going to review something, they better have a problem with it because then why are, why are they reviewing it if, if not? And I think it's a bad philosophy to have, but I think that's a lot of the reason why, why that stuff exists like that. Well, I think there's a lot of... We build things up. Mm-hmm. And particularly in our, our little community mm-hmm. of sci-fi comics, the whole mess of it, where... We were the bastard stepchildren of all the other media for a long time. <laughs> and we were at the forefront of these things changing, becoming mm-hmm. accepted in their own little genres. And we helped build them up. Well, now we're going to tear them down a little bit. Because mm-hmm. you always want to see if your heroes have feet of clay and take them down a couple of pegs. And this, and there's general curmudgeonliness, which I'll plead guilty to. It's, it was better back then. And get off my lawn, you kids. But beyond that, I, I I have a pet peeve. It's when there's a review and it starts as just saying, well, greatest movie I've seen or best of its kind. Mm. And then there's a laundry list of the things that are wrong. Yeah. It can't be both. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't give those two things equal weight. Mm. Then say it's, it's a flawed example or it mm. could have been or it's a qualified success. Find a critically accepted way to say that. But again, we don't have Roger Ebert and George mm. G. Nathan and Robert Benchley writing criticisms anymore. It's some guy in his basement who's going <laughs> to become Doctor Doom someday. <laughs> um, and we, we, we all enter this binary state where things are either 
the best thing <laughs> yes. in the world or they suck. Like, and, and that's just not how it goes. Like, people can have discussions about things. This goes back to the other thing, too, about having layered discussions about things. It's that I might like something but have problems with it. That doesn't mean I don't like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean I, I don't think it's great. But I can have problems with things that I th- with things that I th- yeah. something that I think is great. Um, on the flip side, I can think something is bad, but there be things about it that I think are good. You know, it, it doesn't. It, it's not a one or the other type of situation. And, and I feel like we run into that a lot, right? Where um, someone will read something or someone will watch something, and they'll absolutely not, uh, head over heels love it. And then they will go online or listen to a podcast or whatever, and the people are like, yeah, it was good, but I thought this was wrong with it, I thought this was wrong with it, and they react vehemently to that because they no, they don't want that. They want it to be the best thing because they think it's the best yeah. thing. I, I, you know, I, I'm not... People listen to the show and people respect our opinions, and we think about our opinions a lot, and we go to us. But honestly, if we don't like something, it doesn't mean you shouldn't, you shouldn't like it. Amen. You know, it, that, that, that's not what we're saying. We just happen to sit around with microphones in front of our faces and talk for a couple of hours. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it doesn't mean that our opinions are worth more than yours. It just means that I had some microphones and I and I paid for some web hosting and we do a podcast. Like it's all it means. Anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. And, and you have to you have to be able to listen to the person talking or writing and be like, okay, I know this person doesn't like this, this, and this. I know the personality is. So they're saying they don't like this, but that probably means that I'm going to like this. It's all about the... That's why we talk for three hours, because there's, there's a lot of shades that go into mm-hmm. all this stuff. Um, Steve, what do you think about online criticism? I mean, do you think that, it's, that people are too harsh on things? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's, there's two edges to that sword, right? You have... Or two ends of the spectrum, rather. You have the people that love something and are overly exuberant about it and then you have the people that do not care for that thing and are looking to perhaps it seems like the people that don't like it are more apt to want to tear the other down as opposed to the people that love that thing try to talk the people that don't like it into liking it uh i hope i got the order of that right Mm -hmm. but um i mean the internet gives we've talked about internet uh anonymity and the the power that it gives to to everyone. I mean, for the vast majority of, of of times, I mean, we get you know sent follow requests and gaming requests and all these things. And you know, it's always a good idea to to introduce yourself and to and to kind of you know let people know who you are, um, because we have anonymity on the internet. You never know who's saying what, so you never know like who you could be offending. And, and where that person's coming from, personal experiences and whatnot. But the internet takes a lot of that like personality and identity away from the person and allows them to create this like opinionated persona and like, you know, they live vicariously through themselves on this this internet platform. And uh, I don't know, man. I honestly like I think about it just about every day. Like it's it's scary times that uh, the internet can be a very liberating and, and amazing place, or it could be a really terrible place that could make people feel a lot of horrible things. And, uh, you know, I like to, like I said, my circle online is relatively small because I like to keep it positive. And if I do disagree with somebody, 
I, I usually know that I can have, you know, a level headed discussion with that group of people as to what our differences might be. Mm-hmm. And like so. I said, having like-minded people, I think is important, right? Because if, if you have like-minded people who like to nitpick things and like to talk, then those people you talk to about it, but you gain nothing from going to somebody who loves something and saying, eh, you didn't love it that much. And let me tell you why, uh, yeah. you know, that, that right. that's just not, it's not like we said before, it's not constructive. Mm-hmm. You, you trying to hamper someone's enjoyment of something is it. Why? Why would you want to do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. Just let somebody enjoy something. If they love, if they love something that you think is stupid, fine, let them love it. You're not going to, you're not, it's not your job to convince them that the thing they think is great is stupid. Cause all you've done then is, Make someone's life a little bit worse. <laughs> I'm sorry I nitpicked on the Untouchables, Brian. <laughs> no, well, if we were doing a podcast. Okay. That, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Um, let's go back talking about some comics. Let's okay. talk about our books of the week. Bob, what do you got for us? Well, uh, as I said before, I didn't buy a whole lot of stuff this week. We're in the midst of all these events. Uh, let me say this before I go any further. If you... People have not read Thor number eight. I'm not talking about Thor number eight directly today. But, <laughs> you're, some, but you're, gonna, you're about to spoil it. But some you? books from the past that had something to do with it. So you may want to skip the next five minutes or so. <laughs> I'm just saying you have been warned. You know, we'll set off a, a siren or something. But anyway, it's from 1966 and 67. It is Thor number 134 and to 136. By Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, with inks by Vince Coletta and letters by Sam Rosen and Artie Simek. Stan had credits all those years <laughs> ago. No one had them then, but he did. Well, the events in the most recent issue of Thor had me wanting to look back at these. So the, the threads here began a couple of issues before where you saw Jane Foster had this really interesting roommate that she took up with named Tana Nile, who it turns out was actually from the planet Rigel. Because, you know, why not? And those events tie into what happens here because Thor has just returned to Earth after defeating Ego, the living planet, because he was going to attack them. And they were very appreciative of that, so much so that they called off their planned colonization of the Earth, even though Tana had already put her claim in. And while doing it, mesmerized Jane and sent her away so that Thor would have to go chase after her while she took over New York. You know, it was was the 60s. (laughs) Uh, now, while Jane's out on her road trip, she meets the rather interesting Mr. Porgia and Mr. Tagar, who it turns out are actually new men from Wondagore Mountain, because this is where we first meet the high evolutionary to go with everything else. She ends up going back with them, and we even have a little aside where we see Pietro and Wanda talking about, those lights were on that mountain that with the night we were born. We've been told that. So all these things are going happen into here. Thor comes back, the, the Rigelians have given him some little gizmo that they, he can find. Jane finally shows up there, and they defeat the man-beast who's been a failed experiment that he, frankly, the high evolutionary was distracted and left the uh, crockpot on too long, and he went bad. Uh, big battle. You know, Thor Thor takes out 14 guys and the Knights of Wondagore help and so on, and at the end of that issue, he mentions to Jane Foster something his father told him two issues before, He's agreed to let Thor take Jane Foster to Asgard to be his wife. That's pretty special stuff. He said, your love has lasted all these years and so on and so forth. So issue 136 is titled To Become an Immortal. And the story opens with Thor and Jane, you know, the whirling hammer. There they are on the Rainbow Bridge. And they land on a Rainbow Bridge heavy with, 
the cavalry of Asgard coming back from a battle with the trolls and all these prisoners and these ugly creatures. And Jane's really kind of scared by, you know, look, it's comics, but a real-life regular nurse from New York shows up in outer space on a rainbow bridge with 14-foot-tall hideous trolls, yellow and <laughs> goo coming off and whatever. And Thor, I'm going to have to find my own little notes here. Okay, she's really, really pretty shaken by this. Thor admonishes her with, Do not avert thine eyes, beloved. Thou must become accustomed to such sights, for within this fabled realm the force of evil hath many faces. Pretty fancy stuff by Stan. <laughs> Uh, they go to Odin's throne room, a couple arrives, and, you know, it's meet the parents' night. Odin is happy for his son, magically garbs her in an Asgardian costume, grants her the power of flight, and she starts flying around, and she begins to question, what's this all about? It actually falls out of the sky, and Thor has to rescue her, and he's he's a little shaken himself by this, and she's... Odin's not thrilled by this. You know, he's kind of crabby. Kinda he's like, always been crabby. Yeah. So it's even. He's only got one eye, so you, right. know, you get crabby. And, that, right. and it doesn't matter that he has those ravens and everything else. And so what, what starts to happen is Odin sets her a test. And he unleashes this creature called the Unknown that even his own power can barely defeat hideous creature dripping fangs and giant claws and whatever and he puts him in this this dark maze and sends Jane in after Jane doesn't react particularly well to, to all this and his footsteps moving closer towards her and she panics she, again she's just a regular regular girl and the caption reads in her panic her nameless indescribable fear the hapless girl Forces her fear of, uh, uh, da, 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 no, forgets her fear of flight, propels her purpose in this grim ritual, forgives all, save the name of Thor, Thor. She calls out for Thor. He rescues her. And I must get out of here. Let me run away. I have to escape from this madness. Odin, uh, Odin's going to send her back. Odin's going to make a real mess of this. I'm going to spoil this story too. I've spoiled Thor number eight and I'm spoiling Thor number 136. Uh, Thor petitions Odin, who is, maybe he'll listen, but Jane is, no, don't ask him. I don't want it. I, I can't be a goddess. I won't stay here. It's too horrible. It's too unendurable. Don't you realize how mad it is? Odin's, she hath more wisdom than thee, my son. Though Asgard be heaven and now, her place is on earth below. Now, Thor, still do I love her, my father, though she be frail and weak. Have I not strength enow for the two? Nope. Not according to Odin. He sends her back to Earth and without her memory. It's Of anything? Of Thor and oh, well. all that came before. And she ends up uh, as she shows up in some hospital in California as a resident nurse. And she knows all that. And they introduce her to a new boss who looks just like Don Blake. Hmm. Which is, it's, you know, it's a nice little ending for her. But it was, it's really very, very sad. You'd read through Thor as I did for those three years and get to this sort of point. Interestingly, Thor has to go chase down this unknown monster while he's at it. And he's losing when he gets help from the Lady Sif, because she is introduced here too. And what I didn't remember until rereading this issue, she's Heimdall's sister. Hmm. Who knew? Who knew? So anyway, this is, has been collected a couple of times. Uh, 
most affordably right now in Marvel Masterworks Volume 5, I think this is, of Thor. And you get a nice look of where the storylines and the current issues are have their threads, as well as, just really quickly, I talked about this once before, what if number 10 from way, way back, where the what if thing here is, what if Jane Foster had found the Hammer of Thor? And she's right there on the cover, and a nice jump, you say my cover, smacking up some stone men from Saturn. <laughs> but she calls herself Thordis for whatever particular reason. And this has, as it says right on the cover, the wildest, most wondrous what if yet, and where do you lay eyes on our startling shock ending? There's a shock ending. So anyway, Marvel Masterworks number five, which contains Thor number 131 to 140, and has these. And you get to see Ego and the High Evolutionary and Lady Sif and Tales of Asgard. And what if number 10, what if Jane Foster had found the Hammer of Thor? Spoilers over. <laughs> I think that was longer than five minutes. But uh, okay. <laughs> I think really just the very end, when people probably tuned back in, was probably the spoiler part. Um, so, <laughs> Stephanie. Are you there? Hello. You're here. Um, I am. What's your book of the week? So I managed to read a whopping one other thing. <laughs> um, but it actually turned out, well, I told, I, I, I don't, did I say this on air? Where I was like, these things didn't make sense that I read. No, um, you But didn't one of the things no. I did read did make sense. It was great. Um, and <laughs> because apparently, like, the last couple of years, we've had a theme. It's like, this is the Scott Snyder year. This is the Kelly Sue year. This apparently is the Cullen Bunn year. Um, and the the comic I read is Hellbreak, number one from Oni Press, which is um, Cullen Bunn and other humans. Let's see. Um, who is this guy? Trella. Trella. This <laughs> is going so well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's illustrated by Brian Chirella, uh, colored by Dave Stewart, um, and lettered by Crank. There's an exclamation point after his name. Um, so if you guys flash back to when we were talking about Mythic, I'm not sure if that was last week or the week before. I think last week because I don't think I was on the it show the week before. Week. It was last week, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so Mythic was a story about um, – um, you know, like a cleanup kind of uh, crew for mythological shenanigans. Um, you know, things are going on and um, they're keyed into what's happening. And Hellbreak is kind of the same idea. But instead of that, um, the premise is this. Let me just pull it up here. <laughs> um, so... There are thousands of hells, each unique, each terrible, uh, megacities ruled by vicious gangs. Empires where the most perverse are well-respected, wastelands roamed by prehistoric monstrosities. With the proper tools and know-how, you can infiltrate hell, whether you're dead or not. With the proper tools and know-how, you can break out. Project Kerberos has developed forbidden technology and a special forces extraction team is dispatched to rescue lost souls from the infernal realm. Financed by the church. Kerberos works in conjunction with ordained exorcists to condemn demons to the abyss and save those who have been cast wrongly into the darkness. So, that is, like, on the very first page, and it's just like, all right, shit just got real. <laughs> um, and that's more or less exactly what happens. Uh, we meet a couple, and um, 
they're wanting their son back. They're wanting um, this extraction team to go in and save him from damnation. So you had a little bit of the interaction, kind of like the business aspect of it between the church and the couple who are grieving over the loss of their son. Um, the church is like, our, I mean, we're really good at this. I mean, our extraction rate is almost 50%. Like, and I'm like, that doesn't seem so good. <laughs> um, which, you know, I mean, 50%, that, that's probably more a better chance than 0%. Um, but yeah, so you see this interaction between uh, the face of this, this Hellbreak team um, and the grieving parents. And uh, then you kind of flash forward a smidge to the extraction team in one of the hells. And they're going through and trying to rescue this person's son. So you you get introduced to the team. Um, you know, like, and it, it's kind of like that sort of Ocean's Eleven thing where it's like, here's so-and-so. Here's the demolitions expert. Here's this. Um, and despite, like, the really kind of heavy uh, subject matter, you know, getting damned to hell and all. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Uh, and... I really enjoyed this first issue. Um, you know, uh, they got right to the point. You met everybody and um, saw what kind of business they're really into. And they did it in a way that wasn't super overwhelming. You know, they gave you the premise right up front um, on the first page in a sort of, you know, previously on, but, you know, previously hasn't happened. Um, but... Yeah, they they just give you everything you need in that beginning so that they don't have to explain it in the story. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of people feel that need to kind of be like, oh, here's some exposition on how how this uh, is all going to work. And they didn't feel the need to do that. And I, I thought it was really refreshing to kind of just get it all out in the open and throw you right into the action. Um, Cullen Bunn as we've been talking about incessantly for the last few weeks, is growing increasingly popular and for good reason. His work is consistently great. And the art is really fun, sort of a mix of... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good... I have, like... Who's the artist for Sixth Gun? Oh, my God. I can't remember his name right now. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. Throwing everyone for their, a spin here. <laughs> But it's sort of, it, it kind of reminded me of Chip Zdarsky's art for Sex Criminals a bit um, mixed with something else. And like the covers for uh, Sixth Gun is what uh, popped into my mind. And it might just be the same artist, but... No, Brian Hurt is the artist for the Sixth Gun. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so Hellbreak was really interesting. Um I'm definitely going to down... I, there's a, I, at least one other issue out at this point. Yeah, there's two issues uh, out. The yeah. third one comes out today. Oh, well, there you go, everyone. <laughs> uh, well, you're picking up the third issue. Pick up one and two. <laughs> it's really interesting. I enjoyed it a lot. So, um, And not just because it was the only thing I read. <laughs> <laughs> it was legitimately good. Uh, so uh, Mythic and this, to me, kind of have a similar premise. And we talked about how Mythic was just a lot... Like, there was just too much thrown at you. And between those two things, we talked about Mythic again being more of a trade paperback read. Um, but this is fun and makes me want to read week to week. So definitely check it out. And, um, yeah, that's that's it. 
Steve, I know that you, it's a series that you're really enjoying, and you, I think you talked about issue two, right? Did you Did you ever talk about Yeah, yeah, okay. we talked about one and two okay. uh, when they came out. I remember talking about one. How did two hold up? I don't remember. It's awesome. Okay. It's awesome. It's much more of the, uh, like, team building stuff, getting to know the different players, and um, introducing the kind of, like, the lore or how the hells are set up, uh, how they came into being. There was actually a really cool story about like breaking stairs and and stuff like that. It's totally worth checking out. It's everything that Stephanie says that it is. Cool, awesome, awesome. And uh, the first issue I think is only ninety nine cents. So check yep. that out. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, Steve, what do you got for us? Book of the week. All right, so I got an awesome book. I was in uh, Heroes the other day in London, and I found a series that like one of those things where you've seen it. But maybe you didn't know the creators back when you saw it and you just kind of passed it by and whatnot. So the series is from Image and Shadowline. It's called 27. And it's actually by Charles Soule uh, with art by Renzo Podesta. And I mean, I could not have picked up something that is more up my alley. Uh, People that particularly liked Strange Attractors, if you liked kind of the music element that kind of vibed throughout that whole book and, and served a little bit as the, the the background and backbone for that story amongst the uh, like the mathematical stuff and everything like that. Um, this is yet another kind of uh, like numerology uh, supernatural story from Charles Soule. And uh, I wrote a little like synopsis blurb uh, to give you an idea as to what it's about. So I'll just read this for you now. Um, guitarist and songwriter Will Garland is on top of the world as well as on top of the billboard charts. That is until the day he experiences reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which is a condition formed from repetitious muscle movements, uh, causing him to experience searing pain whenever he attempts to play the guitar. So he's been kind of like wandering around the city, sulking. He's, you know, losing his record contract. About six months has gone by of him going from doctor to doctor and just nobody's giving him any kind of hope. So at the end of his rope, after these six months, he finds this doctor online and agrees to meet with him. So he goes and he meets him in this like, you know, weird lab, kind of mad scientist-y uh, Nikola Tesla type setup. Um, and he agrees to step inside of this machine that is supposed to just fix his, fix his hands so that he can continue to play the guitar. However, the, the actuality of the machine is that it serves as a sacrificial altar, which transports the user to the famed crossroads where they can enter into a pact with, uh, with the devil. And instead of the devil though, this is a demon and it's actually a demon that feeds um, on the creative juices of mankind. Wow. And so it basically grants you the ability to get what you want back, but there's a catch, as there always is. Um, Garland kind of wakes up after the machine malfunctions and finds that he's got a device inside of his chest that it's like embedded within his skin and within his bone structure that kind of looks like a little, uh, like an amplifier. And every time that he turns the dial on the amplifier and clicks it up one notch, he experiences a different form of creativity. So like the best and brightest minds of each creative outlet are channeled into him and he's allowed to use their creative gifts for a total of three hours for a total of 27 clicks before he dies. 
Ooh. Yeah. So the problem is, is that when nobody really tells you what the conditions of the deal are, yeah. and you wake up with a machine uh, inside of your chest, you have a tendency to panic. So in the opening moments, he clicks it once, and all of a sudden he's able to play his guitar, and he's you know super satisfied and thrilled. However, at the end of the three hours, it all goes away, and his hand crumples back to its you know previous state. And he kind of begins to learn about this machine and how it works. But the problem is, is that if he only gets 27 clicks, what happens when at the beginning of him waking up that he was fiddling with it and playing with it and clicking it again and again and again, he doesn't remember how many times he clicked the machine. So he has no idea how much longer it will be and how much he can use the machine until he clicks it over and he dies. Um, So right away... The book was super, super engaging Um, and like the unknowing of what powers Garland will inherit next and how he'll use them uh, really just like forces you to read on. Like what if you got like if you want to think of them as like superpowers and stuff like that, if you were able to sing a song about a place and you would, you know, be transported there. You would be teleported to that place. If you sang a song about your mom, you'd be at your mother's house. If you sang a song about England, you'd be transformed into the tube. Like, all these different things that he's able to do. It's really, really fascinating. Um, I absolutely could not put it down. I almost didn't buy volume two. I almost bought um, Warren Ellis's uh, first volume of Trees, but I decided to get um, both of these because it was, you know, Charles soul and music. And that's kind of my bag and the whole bit. Um, and I am so, so glad that I picked up both, uh, both trades. Um, they're called set one and set two for those that are looking for them. And, um, as far as the art goes, the art is, um, reminiscent of like, if you took Ben Temple Smith and mixed it with Jonah Vasquez, who is the artist of squee and Johnny, the homicidal maniac. And, you know, I'll say this for, for the vast majority of the series, like it, it really worked for me, but then there were times where it looks kind of strange and perhaps doesn't fit. But as soon as I started to kind of like doubt, like the artistic prowess of the book, I would turn the page and there would just be something absolutely spectacular or beautiful in like a double paged format. And the book, the books themselves, uh, as far as the trades go, they're a little bit oversized, so you get this like really nice uh, presentation of these giant panels. And I mean, there's there's a point in the book where he gets this power where it's almost kind of like fireworks or a light show um, can be emitted from his palms. And he kind of sends it out over the entire city. And so when you turn the page, you get this just absolutely gorgeous swirl of what looks like just glowing stardust all across the page. And like any doubts that I had about the art, you know, from turning that page just went away in an instant. Um, The unfortunate thing is that at the end of uh, the second trade, it just stops. Like it just ends and it ends well, but there's, there's like, there's still more, like there's still Mm. more story to tell. You can totally go forward with this. And there's even uh, in the back of the second trade, there's a letter from Charles and and the rest of the team saying that if there's enough enthusiasm for this series in the future, if it could ever make some kind of a comeback, that everybody would be more than happy to return to the series and continue it. Um, I'm hoping that by 
having the power of the podcast that a couple of our listeners go and uh, and check this series out and maybe send Charles or or Renzo their thoughts on it after uh, they're done reading it because this is something that I would absolutely love to see even get like a third arc just to polish off kind of what's left of Garland's life and his career because it went in some really, really interesting directions towards the end of that second arc and I want to see that so bad. So... There you go. Sounds interesting. All right. Twenty, yeah, twenty-seven by Charles Soule from Image and Shadowline. Um, I talked a lot about it, but trust me, there's so much going on in this book, and all of it is good. So totally check it out. All right. Very very cool. Awesome. Yes. <clears throat> so for me, um, I uh, I actually am very surprised about what my book of the week ended up being because. I read the first issue and I liked it. And I think I actually talked about a book of the week when I when I read the first issue, but um, it was kind of my book of the week by more of default than anything else. Like I, I enjoyed it, but it just wasn't a week where I did, wasn't really in love with a lot of stuff. And this week I read a lot of stuff that I liked very much, but this book kind of held above those other books for me. And that was Rebels number two from Brian Wood and, and Andrea Muti with colors by Jordi Belair. And I don't, if you guys remember when I talked about it a month ago, it's a story that's historical work of historical fiction it takes place in the American Revolutionary War, and it's just about a soldier and his life and and kind of how he's moving through um, his service. And here um, you see him as a member of the Green Mountain Boys, uh, led by Ethan Allen. And you know the book is wonderfully written and and the art is gorgeous. And I'll kind of get into the whys and wheres of the, of the book in a second, but. For me, it held kind of a an immediate personal connection because um, uh, my my father's side of the family and uh, I grew up part of my life in Vermont. So there was a time where I was really kind of obsessed with the history of the state, and I did a lot of research about it. I read a lot of books about it. I was really into this idea of the the Green Mountain Boys and Ethan Allen, and you know, I searched out kind of all the literature I could find on them. You know, when I was in in anywhere in like the kid range to you know where I could find in my library or something to to read about them, and you know, all these stories, and the, the idea of Vermont as a you know that would be it was the fourteenth state. You know, it was the first non colony to be to become a state and I, w- I was very into that that kind of history and lore and here it's very much uh dealing with you know those things you know what the green mountain boys were doing um and just getting that setting and getting the history of the state in comic book form is something that i, I have you know never seen before so it was immediately very alluring to me and then the second part of it is uh it, it has just enough history in it where it it kind of rubs that history bone I have, you know, that like the, the, where I'm really interested in what they're talking about and what they're doing and how they're, how they're going. Um, they're dealing with, you know, battles, but they're also dealing with, with the idea of the politics of the war, which is that, you know, these, these green mountain boys are fighting to make sure that, you know, their area is safe and free and that people can live and that, um, you know, these kind of New York regiments are not invading where, where they, where they live. But then there's the the thought of well, we have to start thinking of this more than just let's protect our little little silver of land. There's the idea of a national army, idea of all these colonies being one, and how that's kind of foreign to a lot of the people who you know live you know live in in these situations. And 
the the push pull of that I think w- was very interesting to me, uh, as well as they he, he, they they come up with some very Brian Wood comes up with some very good personal relationships between uh, um, a lot of us do just a husband and wife and how they're dealing with the war and you know how they're dealing with getting by and, and how they're gonna make a living and how they're gonna make a life together and they have very simple problems and very recognizable problems in more of this kind of grand tapestry of, of what's happening throughout the country. And, you know, I, I just really enjoyed kind of that, the layering on of those, you know, of, of those different thoughts and ideas and, and what was happening. And, you know, there's a very exciting scene near the end, um, you know, where they're kind of trying to take out this tanker that has all this concrete on it because they um, barge, sorry, not tanker uh, barge, there's all this concrete now that's going to really go to building kind of bases farther down south, and they have to take it out. It's a very dangerous work, and there's a good mix of like clandestine stuff and and action and a good cliffhanger at the end. And um, I just really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it way more than I really expected to. I was expecting to kind of possibly, you know, sometimes there are, there are a group of books that like I, I buy and then I don't get to them one week, and then they kind of just fall by the wayside after a while. And I really was expecting Rebels to be one of those books, but I ended up reading it and, and really, really loving it. Oh. Yeah. So Rebels number two, uh, Brian Wood and Andrea Muti. Really, really great book. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out when uh, when it hits trade. I'm definitely going to pick that up. Yeah, I think it will read really, really well to trade, too. I think it's going to be a really good story. And it was a very interesting uh, change up from reading Manifest Destiny, which is a work of very much, you know, historical fiction fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're layering on this other thing that that didn't really happen, obviously. And this is not about necessarily about a real person, but it's, it's trying to be as kind of real as possible to, to the time period and what's going on. So the differences between the two I thought were really cool. Um, and reading them, reading them right off each other was, was very interesting. Um, we had a question. Oh, let me see if I can find it real quick. My tweet thing got a uh, reset here. Um, okay. This is from artless artist who's at sane underscore is underscore boring. And he says, uh, or they say for someone with a budget, how do you separate books you like from books you love? How do you, how do books miss the cut and get axed for you? Bob. Wow. Sometimes it's creators, creator, creative team changes, and you give it one more or two more. And uh, Hawkeye is a perfect example. I like Jeff Lemire, but mm-hmm. not as much as I like what Fraction was doing. So tried a couple, and then it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And I've long ago gotten past the idea of having to own every single comic <laughs> and every single run, which is helpful, too, when you have to think about this. So keep in mind, comics are not, the, it's all relative, but they're not 12 cents anymore. They're not even a dollar anymore. At four and five dollars, you have to make tough choices. And even a book you might like a whole lot, if it is you're saying, if it's drifting down in your pile and you've got two or three laying behind, mm-hmm. let go. Mm-hmm. Look for other reviews. Pick them up in the store if you can. Look, wait for the trade. The trades are always a value. You have to be ruthless. It's it's sad to say it this way, but you really have to. So mm-hmm. when that moment comes, you'll know it. It's just there's no enjoyment anymore. It, it becomes a chore. You're, you're putting it away to read it last, or you're reading it first to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Both of those are a problem. And that should be your warning sign. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Stephanie, what about you? Um. More or less what Bob said, uh, but if you're not what enjoying it, what a stupid opinion just... you have, Stephanie. <laughs> you're stupid, Bobby. Um... I miss this. <laughs> um, but yeah, like more or less what Bob said. Shut up, Bobby. Um, I, and just kind of pick and choose what you love. 
if you have a budget, don't waste your money on what you don't want to be reading. Don't make it feel like a chore. This is supposed to be fun. You wouldn't spend uh, $30 on a brand new hardcover book that you didn't want to read. And just because comics are cheaper doesn't mean that the same principle doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, over time, these books cost a lot of money. And Lord knows how much we spend yearly on comics. Let's not go there. Yeah. Um, but it adds up. Just because it's three ninety nine per issue per month doesn't mean that like you should just buy it for the sake of buying it. Mm-hmm. Um, read what you love. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and also, I mean, you said you're on a budget, so this probably isn't the same issue. But oh, but there might be things that you love that your your brain just doesn't have space for every, every week or every month um, because of the other stuff that you're buying and. I, I think that there, you know, there are some books that I on I, I don't know why it happens. There's some books that I I like that I just I didn't read this week or I didn't read this month, so it gets put in a pile where I didn't read this month, and the next one comes up. I'm like, oh, I didn't read last month, so I have to read it. I have to read last month's, and so and then I put it in that pile, and then it happens. And before I know it, six, seven, eight months have gone by, and then I'm like, well, now I have to go back and read like the four issues before the last one I stopped at because I don't remember what the hell was going on anymore. It's been, it's been like eight months since I, since I read that book. And it's not necessarily a book that I don't like. Sometimes it's books that I love. It's just one of those things where it just gets put aside and, and because I want to enjoy it. I want to take it in. I want it to have its own space. And sometimes when I'm reading a bunch of books, it's just it isn't there for it. So um, even books like that, I think, are important to just... Maybe maybe that's a book you read in trade, you know, because it's just it's not something that fits into your monthly kind of, or your weekly, your weekly cycle. Um, but for me, I think I've said a bunch of times, it's just like Bob said too, it's just, you just know it, you know, when you're, when you decide to, when you're like, Oh, well I have the other one. So I got to buy this one. You shouldn't be buying it anymore. Amen. That's just that. That's really what it is. You know, if that's the only reason you're buying it anymore, not that you also love it and you have all of them. Cause then that's a really good reason. That's a double reason to buy it. But if you have that reason where it's like, ah, I don't, I just, I just, you know, I have all of them. So why stop now? Then you're not. You shouldn't be buying it anymore. Um, I will say though, one thing I run into, which is a real problem, is sometimes I'll decide I'm not buying this book anymore. One month, um, and then the next month I will forget that I decided not to oh, buy no. it, and I'll get it again. And then the next month I'll remember that I bought it last month, so I'm like I'll buy it again. So sometimes like some books I have like issues one, two, three, four, seven, eight, nine, ten, <laughs> or one, two, three, four. You know. Uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and I just want that one issue in the middle, and I'm like, "What the hell? Were you, what happened? What were you thinking <laughs> that one month or that month after?" So I have to make sure I keep track of of that stuff. What what I've kind of given up, um, but yeah, it's just a feeling thing. Steve, what about you? Um, sorry, I had to unmute myself. There There's a-, a crazy thunderstorm <laughs> that just developed above my head, and I'm sitting above uh, below a skylight. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Good. So the tree that is the tree arm that is. Bending my way is a little alarming. Poltergeist too. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Um, I mean, so much of what everybody else said, but I, you know, trust your trust your gut and trust your instincts, because oh man, the rain's really coming oh, down. Wow. You can yeah, I can hear, hear it. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll try to give me a second. I'll try to move. <laughs> um, I don't know how much it's gonna help. It sounds like it's raining on you. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta trust your instincts, and I mean. For so much of what everybody else said, but I'll just add this little snippet. Um, you know, if you're only half enjoying a book, 
it's inevitable that the trade is going to come out. If you jump off at a decent time, like if you round out an arc and then you decide that you can do without the story for a little while, then, you know, walk away from it and give it up. Just because you lose one story doesn't mean that you can't gain another. Like if you're buying a bunch of stuff that you only half enjoy, you could be missing out on one or two things that you'll absolutely love. So if there's no room in your budget for those new things because you keep picking up, you know, not to say mediocrity, but I mean, I think you know what I mean. Um, you're you're robbing yourself of those experiences and those new books. So, you know, if you feel it, if you feel like it's time to cut it, then cut it, you know, and um, that would be all I have to say about that. Yeah. There's a lot of thunder and rain coming down. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, it's all right. I mean, I agree with you, too. Like, I talked about Manifest Destiny the last, like, month. I've been reading it and loving it. That's one of those books I just didn't buy because I was like, I, I'm really going to have all this other, other stuff. My pile's so big already. I don't even want to try this book. Um and I discounted it. Just I was like, this looks like one of the like also ran image series, mm -hmm. and I was totally wrong. And if I had been buying a little less that week, and I and I had a little bit of budget freed up, I could have experimented on something, and maybe I would have read it and absolutely loved it. So I think that yeah, like C was saying, absolutely. Um, you know, instead of reading <clears throat> five series that you're just okay with, get rid of them. Pick up two more series that you kind of like, you know, or that you like, or experiment on stuff. Be willing to buy like something like. They talk about Hellbreak or something, you know, one of those, you know, those those books from little publishers or things you wouldn't normally try. That way, you can try something and you buy it once. If you don't like it, then it's then it's off. But yeah. you're not stuck in this cycle of feeling like you have to buy every Avengers book, every Justice League book, every Batman book, every whatever it is, whatever series it is, whatever group of series it is. Just learn to just cut it out. It's because it's it's okay. It's really okay. It sends a nice message to the publishers. Too. Yes. Those yes. little books now get supported. They'll do mm -hmm. more things like that, and maybe they won't have forty-seven Avengers books every month. It's true. Um, so, Bob, we have some questions. I have questions specifically for you. Oh, good. Um, this is from uh, M underscore Zombie M, and it says, <laughs> "Okay, uh, questions like for Bob with the new Black Canary book coming out soon, and I believe actually that there's going to be a, the preview of it will be free online tomorrow. Ooh. It's also in the back of." Convergence Blue Beetle, if anyone's mm -hmm. reading that, but it's going to be online for free. Um, and, and I do believe she'll be uh, Marjorie Lou. Mar what do you mean, Marjorie Lou? The uh, the artist. Isn't she doing the convention coming up soon? No, Marjorie Lou isn't the artist. No, um, Annie Wu. Annie, Annie Wu. Wu. Annie I Wu. was close. <laughs> I am not drinking tonight. See, that's a problem. Um, she'll be at the convention. We can have things signed. Oh, with the new Black Canary book coming out soon. What are your hopes and thoughts? And what have been your favorite Black Canary stories runs? Um, and which writers are the best? So three parts there. Three parts. So what, what are, are I, your what am I hoping for? Hope, hopes and thoughts. In the current state of affairs with the new Bat books with Mark Doyle, I'm hoping for something on the order of the new Batgirl. A lighter, fun series that still has consequence, so we have some adventures and some superheroine stuff, and we get to see a somewhat less angry Black Canary than we've seen in the new 52, because it's really been hard to get past in terms of runs three it's obviously gail simone's birds of prey you actually you could go back into chuck dixon's too but the relationship between barbara and dinah really solidified there into something that's one of comics great great runs of, of in, in any era what was the third part oh it was well, it was what stories and runs and then which writers have gotten the character right I think I sort of covered that, but <laughs> there, I don't know if it's available anymore. DC published a 
was expensive in its time, one of those $50 archive editions that actually collected all the Black Canary stories from the 40s, mm. as well as some from the 60s where she teamed up with Starman as part of the Justice Society, Justice League crossovers, and then an Alex Todd miniseries from the 90s that was very, very good. There were some ins and outs with the Canary over the years. You know, she's she's her own daughter at one point, which gets kind of weird. But she's She was the black... The Earth 2 Black Canary, who then, her husband gets killed by Aquarius, some outer space monster, and she comes here because she doesn't want to live with those memories, so comes to Earth 1, and in the turnover, she discovers she's not really the Earth 2 Black Canary. She's her daughter, who's been in limbo, who's crazy stuff. (laughs) Crazy stuff, but fun. She, always a great character that was underserved for a long time. She spent a lot of time as sidekick, which didn't serve her well written well through the green 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 arrow issues and whatever but she just sort of became the plus one to green arrow Mm. and she deserved better and that happened with birds of prey all right um we'll keep on the we'll keep on the bob train here okay um super smoothers on on the forums asks bob have you always been more of a marvel guy or were there's a time when you preferred dc well i have mentioned a number of times around here that my first comic I have any memory of is Showcase 37. It's the first Metal Man issue, a giant flying manta ray with laser beams for eyes and a bunch of robots on a rooftop. Come on! <laughs> you're, you're, you're six? That's a book you want to read. <laughs> I, up until... Let me put it this way. As Marvel exploded, the, the Marvel age of comics, it was very attractive to have all new characters who seemed much different than all the Boy Scouts are over at D.C., and I became much more of a fan of the Marvel books while continuing to still buy Superman and Batman and Justice League and Metal Men and Metamorpho and you name it. Or rather, my father bought them for me because I got a quarter week allowance, so he bought me two bucks. Even until, as the various events started to happen, as I kept rebooting all the stuff I loved, Crisis took something out of me a little bit. Then Zero and Infinity, I forget what order they're all in. New 52 finished me off for for a while because those characters were not the characters I had spent 40-odd years reading. And uh, till that last moment, I was buying, still buying Justice League, still visiting Batman and Superman if there was a little arc I wanted, buying Power Girl and Zatanna and Justice Society and miniseries. And then it was all gone almost overnight. The tone that they adopted for the first three years was something I had a hard time with. I was buying Batgirl, period. Mm-hmm. And then an occasional World's Finest when it started was very good. I think they're turning around, and I'm very intrigued by some of these books that are coming next. These are characters I loved as a boy, loved as a teenager, loved as a grown-up. They took them away. Mm-hmm. They gave everyone something else, but not what I wanted to read. And I think they're starting to come back to layered tonalities and more fun and i'm probably always still gonna you know carry the fantastic four around in, on my sleeve <laughs> it's something i really love more than anything else still a place in my heart for superman and wonder woman and batman though so here's hoping all right um let's go on to our shared book of the week and we'll get some listener questions after we're done with this one <clears throat> so it's a force number one uh marguerite bennett g willow wilson and jorge molina um, on art duties, and it's uh, Laura Martin and Matt Mila on colors. So, <clears throat> A Force is a Secret Wars tie-in. What's most before we get into the book? What's most interesting to me about this Secret Wars tie-in is how 
muted the fact that the Secret Wars tie-in is on the cover. <laughs> it's so different than the other ones. But um, other than that, uh, the book is about a an island called Arcadia, which uh, is not entirely female. We, we there are mm-hmm. there are males there. We see Luke Cage pushing a baby yes. carriage around, uh, which was a nice little touch in, in one of the early panels. But it is patrolled by all female superhero team uh a huge team uh which is called a force when and is led by she hulk and the story is basically about uh the team encountering an an oddity in 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 their world and uh how they deal with it and the repercussions of of them dealing with it and and, you know just so anybody who's not reading secret wars um, or doesn't know what's going on the the kind of universes have been smushed together and there is this sort of landmass that exists uh, that's ruled by uh, God Emperor Doom, who and it's 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 kind of broken up into mishmashes of different continuities, kind of stuck together. And Arcadia is one of those kind of fiefdoms that that exists, and, and they all they all know about each other. They all exist in the same world, um, and, and they all kind of answer to, the, to 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 Doom. And so that's kind of what we're thrown into w- with this story. Um, Bob, what did you think of A-Force? Except for the still really terrible title, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. You very much have that House of M vibe mm. where you're somewhere with a new set of rules. The characters are slightly changed. We still don't know exactly which versions mm-hmm. are which and what their relationships are. But you're pretty quickly brought up to speed. The characters are, I don't know how you want to call they're introduced with closed captions, yes. so to speak. So those you don't know, you do know pretty quickly. Nice introductions, reintroductions to characters we haven't seen in a while. We Bobby just pulled open a page of the original, you know, Disco Dazzler from mm. back in the day, in roller skates and all, which mm. is a lot of fun. The team is supportive of each other. There's camaraderie. There's sniping humor. It's the way real people speak to each other. It is not that Brian Wood X Men vibe that we all got pretty sick of pretty quickly. These people like hanging out, like doing what they're doing, even if it's a place we're not all familiar with. Mm. You talk about the closed captions. One of my favorite things about the book, um, and one of the things that I think I I love about the book, which is the differing tones that happen and the way these characters interact with each other, but when they introduce Miss America, the caption is, America Chavez, Miss America, she's beauty, she's grace, she'll punch you in the face, which I just (laughs) loved so much. Um, it was just great to see all these characters, you know, together doing their thing and doing these big adventuring things. And what I loved about the book more than anything else was that you got a sense of history between all the characters that they, you know, that even though this universe is new to us, to them, whatever is going on and whatever weirdness is happening, they've known each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. They've had the situation for a while The you know, cause when this thing shows up, it's like, well, this thing is, shouldn't be here. It's not part of this world. It, so it makes you think that they, they have encountered a lot of things. So this one thing is is out of yeah. sorts. Um, and the, the way that the, you know the alliances are, the way that people interact with each other, you feel a history between these characters, and not the history that we've seen in in, in other things. And I liked that a lot about about the book. Um, overall, I thought it was really strong. I thought they did a good job of making it a. There, there are obviously ties to to the other to the Secret Wars main series. You see characters here. Uh, you know, obviously like a sheriff. Sheriff Stephen Strange and the Thors are, are kind of part of that larger world, but they do a good job of making the story kind of work for itself, I think, to be about these characters, 
even though there's this other larger thing happening around it. Uh, Stephanie, what did you think of A-Force number one? I really liked it. Um, I don't know exactly what I was expecting. Um, you guys probably may be aware of my hatred for events. Um, but uh, aside from some of the stuff that directly mentioned the tie-in, um, I really enjoyed the series. I thought there was um, interesting dynamics between the team. Like She-Hulk is put in a really interesting position um, as sort of not the ruler, but she's kind of like, I don't know. She's like the president. She's, 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 she's the, the prime minister yeah, yeah. to Doctor Doom's monarchy. Yes, yeah, if we're talking Canadian, you yes, know, and Britain. Yeah. <laughs> she's got to make yeah. tough decisions. Yeah. Um. So you know, like, uh, she she has a background in law. She has a background where she knows that the law always doesn't uh, do the innocent justice and. Despite that, she still has this really noble sense of upholding it and what that means. And she, again, she's put in a really horrible situation um, as a friend to these people and as um, somebody who's protecting these people. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's lose-lose for her all around. Um, but yeah, like, I, I thought that the story presented um just a different and interesting look at these characters we've seen in a number of other books over the years and uh in a way that we've never seen them before so right um Stephanie were you surprised they did not broach the subject of what happens when they all get their periods uh yeah I mean obviously like when women are written into a comic book that is the first thing that comes to mind to me like it's like what are they even gonna do um how are the men gonna survive like what what's you know who's gonna stick up for the men when they're all really cranky um who's gonna protect them when their protectors are pmsing that's the book i want to read yeah i mean for a series i was shocked and appalled um but you know mostly I just worried for the men. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, know. you know, Good like know. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to touch on that just in case, like, you know, it no made spoilers. our fans uncomfortable to talk about, you know, <laughs> just be like, oh my God, the men. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's a very real concern here. And um, I'm, I'm very glad you addressed that. Buddy. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Steve, what did you think of A-Force? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Follow that. Yeah. I don't know that I can. <laughs> what about um, the men, Steve? What's that? What about the men, Steve? Oh, I'll speak for all of them <laughs> using I statements. <laughs> um, I thought it was really good. Uh, I thought that it worked well within like what's been established about Battle World so far. The cast of the book is absolutely amazing. The character cast is so much fun. Um, I loved a lot of the banter uh, during their their battle with uh, a seafaring creature of total awesomeness yeah. that I won't spoil for people that haven't read this yet, but it's one of my favorites. Um, I liked the overwhelming sense of respect that the lady heroes have for one another. Um, and I really appreciated the relationships 
that seem to have been forged uh, in this new battle world. I won't say who gets together, but it was it made sense and it was very touching, and I, I enjoyed having that in the book. Um, having She-Hulk front and center calling the shots was a really really smart decision. Um, it's comp- like out of many of the the female heroes, I believe that she can do the job. Uh, I believe that she'll do it well, and I believe that she'll do it in a kind of diplomatic sense while still being sensitive to the needs of the people, which I think is really important uh, for somebody to have in a leadership role. Uh, I thought the artwork was perfect. Uh, All of the characters were drawn really well and drawn with respect, which was a nice thing to see. Um, If I had only one thing, and this is actually not the fault of the book, but more of like a, like a timetable thing. Um, I'm kind of I'm not entirely sure with these battle world tie-ins how everybody got to be where they are and how there's like regular people survived the the event uh in, you know on including the heroes so it's like like Arcadia is beautiful and it's lovely but how did everybody get there well, we don't know um, about anything yet Right, well, that's kind of my thing. Like, if we had a bit more of the Hickman stuff, if we had a little bit more established about where everybody is, I think it would be easier for me to be comfortable within the world that Marvel's trying to present to me in this book. Because as of right now, like, I have so many questions as to how this is all happening. But as far as, like, the events happening within that world and within the story through A-Force was a really, really solid read. And, I mean, I would be reading it anyway even if it wasn't part of of the event um and i'm happy to see that it got announced i believe last weekend as an ongoing book Mm. so we don't have to worry about this uh going away which is fantastic yeah it's really cool i mean i have to say that the the thing i was most excited to see was um america chavez being such a big part of it she's a character i loved from reading uh gillen and McKelvey's young avengers and to Mm -hmm. have her back here so front and center was really really cool and Steve, I didn't even think about the connection that you were talking about until you said it. Yeah. I didn't even think about it until I put it together um, from another run. That's yeah. spo- Sorry to spoil like, anything. Tiptoeing around even, stuff. <laughs> like there, were, there were even characters in this that don't appear on the cover. Mm. One in particular that I was like, oh my god, no way! <laughs> and I was really excited to see them. Um, and Nico from the runaways like i had completely forgotten that she was a part of the story and i was saying to my girlfriend i'm like who is this who is this and then her you know introduction caption came up and i just like leapt off the couch and did like a silly little dance uh in celebration that like little by little characters from the runaways are starting to pop up in the marvel universe again um i i just i'm so glad to see those characters carry on to other stories awesome Bobby and their stuff? Yeah, I'm interested to know how they'll figure out the landscape of mm. how this moves forward. Will it continue to be an Elseworld sort of what-if story, find its way into regular continuity and balance with how, how many other Avengers books will be coming soon? Based on this, this is a, a tremendous introductory first issue. I gave up sort of reading Secret Wars already, and... Even though, just as Steve is, I'd love to have a whole lot of answers right away. I think that Ms. Wilson and Ms. Bennett will give it to us in little bits and pieces as we hear backstories. We have a couple of months just before we even get to that. And I'm going to tame my inquisitive nature down and let them tell the story as they are. Because this was, this was a really strong first issue. 
in, in a lot yeah. of ways. You got all the characters. We we grouse a lot around here about you know what a first issue should do. This did all those things and and pitch perfectly. Yeah, I um I mean I wasn't on the show last week, so I didn't get to talk about it. But um really quickly, like as somebody that's actually like I'm really enjoying Secret Wars. I positively loved Secret Wars number two. Um, I know you guys talked about it a little bit last week, but I thought that all the stuff leading up to like the presentation of Battle World that when it was presented to everybody was a a, a really uh, solid moment to to get me uh, psyched for for what's going to happen with this event and establishing the new universe. I just like a lot of other people, I wish that I had more answers uh quickly but i i like bob said i don't think it's going to be like that i think it's going to be in in snippets and dribs and drabs mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely uh stephanie any other words about a force no uh, i was pleasantly surprised uh enjoying the fact that there's not it's not x-men battle world mm-hmm. lady style like it's <laughs> not like some tie-in with you know well i mean it's a tie-in but i mean it's it's got an original title which may not be great <laughs> but at least it's different and uh, so you felt like it escaped kind of like what you were worried about when we talked about it way back originally when it got announced was that it was going to be too gimmicky, right? So do you think it, it escaped that? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not to say that it might not. Uh, I mean, it, it could fall into that trap further down the line um, as Secret Wars carries on. But it felt like something that stood alone to me mm. um, and was just kind of influenced by the surrounding events as opposed to um, it being directly affected. Um, So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I thought it was very good. Um, Definitely one of my favorite uh, uh, tie-ins. Definitely my favorite tie-in of the ones I read this week. These are the first tie-ins. And I read a bunch of them. So, very, very good. I definitely recommend it. Um, Let's see what our listeners thought who rang in with some hashtag TCBOTW. Um, At AGGRGI says, The good art Sam Wilson, Thor, make it happen. The bad animal cruelty. The confusing Dazzler can fly. <laughs> um, and he says, and I call bullshit. Storm should be the Baroness. Stop mutant discrimination. <laughs> TCBOTW. Um, at Sprayberry88 says, A-Force number one was an interesting first issue. Introduction to the battle world area of Arcadia. Great art, compelling story. I'm in. Um, Music City Comics at, at Just Drew VG says, A Force number one is a good start with great art. I don't fully really get Arcadia as an area of Battle World, but I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, at Tom Diddly O Diddly Om Tom says, <laughs> A bit confusing at places as I'm not reading Secret Wars, but it didn't ruin the book. Loved the cast. Um, he said, but, and then I don't know where the rest of his tweet is. So he didn't, I don't think he used the hashtag again. So Tom, I'm sorry. Um, maybe I, maybe I can find it. Wait a second. Let's see how, many, how much Tom tweets. Um, ah, he didn't put a hashtag. Thought it would be better, would work better as an ongoing than a tie-in. Also, whenever when someone shouted Miss America, I kept thinking, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, this is from at Dr. Mo 77. Fun issue, full of great character moments, flying roller skate wearing Dazzler and America Chavez make things better. Um, at Tim Vargulich says, a little bit of a slow start for me, but I'll stick around because I love the characters and art. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, at Better Letters 38 says, loved it, especially the moments with Disco Dazzler and America Chavez, but knowing it's temporary makes it all seem pointless. Well, Kevin, you don't have to worry so much because it's going to be an ongoing. Um, 
At Good Evening says, as a longtime Runaways fan, seeing Nico again made this book for me. For that alone, I would have bought it. I think they did well choosing what characters to focus on, although some, i.e. Dazzler, were basically cameos. Um, at Keltronica says, unfamiliar with most of the characters in A-Force, but they were introed like, this X, this is X, her power is this, so it's easy to understand. Um, at a Walt 8 says, A-Force is my only foray into Secret Wars. Don't fully understand the setting, but great writing and art, I'm in. Um, at Henry Arnold 6 says, A-Force was good, wasn't familiar with all the characters, the info panels helped. Interested to see where this goes. Um, at Bastard Blogger says, A-Force was a beautiful book, great story, and I can't wait to see where it goes. It's a very close second to Planet Hulk. Um, at Kelly Heron 27 says, while I'm not crazy about battle world setting, I love this art and story in A-Force number one. Hope we see more America. Um, at, uh, I am Asian Batgirl. Hello, Nikki says, uh, America. Yes. I wasn't thrilled about the contrived all feel all female Avengers concept, but this issue was spectacular. Um, at Eric Ryan 91 says, I was expecting A-Force to be dis- distanced from its battle world setting, which doesn't hold much interest to me. That being said, I love the creative team and the characterizations of all the characters. Looking forward to the, the book post-Secret Wars. Um, Hubert, who's at Stimuli File, says, A-Force number one was... I don't know I don't know what this means. Was S-U-E-P-O-I-B? Supoib. 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 Oh, there you go. <laughs> I should have sounded it out. Yeah, it's doing curly. Uh, Supoib. Uh, Supoib. More Ms. America. Yes. Um, Chris, who's huge at huge tiny mistake, says, uh, A-Force made me think, what if this team did Wonder Woman? And I had a sad <sighs> face because uh, they weren't, but was happy because this book exists. Um, at BM Burton 12 says, the rare, maybe only example of characters written so well, I don't mind the tie-in to an event I'm not reading. Um, at Toxic Sooner says, A-Force, good art, good writing, and good story. I hope that the other tie-ins I read will live up to this standard. We had a lot of reactions to yes. A-Force. At Infinity Watcher says, in a week of great tie-ins, A-Force was among the best. Love the setting, art, and characters. Hashtag America. Um, Maria Norris uh, wraps it up saying, A-Force was everything I wanted and more. Can she help be the leader of everything, please? But God, Emperor Doom, really, really cues eye roll. <laughs> I talked with her about that more in depth, and she just says she thinks it's something like her little brother would call himself if they were playing a game <laughs> where he was a bad guy, um, which I thought was funny. And I said that's kind of why I like it because it's like so ridiculous. <laughs> but thank you everybody for uh, writing in, ton of reaction to the book, um, and thank you guys so much for giving us all your reactions. Stephanie, it is your pick for book of the week. What do you got for us? All right. While we were talking, I was narrowing it down. Um, I, I had had it down to two a second ago, and it was between um, Fight Club 2 or the one I did wind up picking, which is a, a throwback to one of our very first guests on the podcast, and it's Brian Bucciolato's Sons of the Devil number one. Yeah. Image, right? Yes. Okay. Image comics. So it's a good price. It's two ninety nine. I know a lot of you, um, A-Force was something – that we were all probably going to read regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, nice price point for you guys to check something out that you might not have uh, picked up otherwise. And this is the synopsis here for you. Uh, and this is what sold me, really. Actually, I'll just read what they build it as. It's True Detective, an orphan black meets Helter Skelter. It's like, mm. okay. Yes. Those are three things I enjoy. <laughs> I, I know. These are three of my favorite things. Not really, but... Um, yeah, so 
It's a psychological horror story about an average guy trying to get by. Discovers that he has family ties to a deadly cult. So, yeah. All right. Let's do it, guys. Sons Sons of the the Devil. devil. Uh, Who's the artist (laughs) on that? Uh, It is Brian Pucciolato and Tony Infinity. Infinity? He's the artist on The Bunker, Steve? Yes, Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) The cover for it looks very much like a Raphael Albuquerque cover. Interesting. I'm going to look up The Bunker. It's it looks very good and as cool as I suspect Fight Club Two will be, um, I I'm more intrigued about this. And again, Brian came on the show way back in the day when we were nobody and was super cool to talk to. Um, so I'm curious to see about this new series of his. Absolutely, I was totally wrong. It's uh, Tony Infante is the artist of Sons of the Devil, and it's like. Tony Infiare or something is the artist of the bunker. Yeah, and I just looked up the bunker in Google, and you wouldn't believe how many uh, <laughs> Hitler hits I just got. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> so apparently, there's a lot of stuff about Hitler and bunkers on the internet. Well, we're good not. Good to le- know. Yeah, that's good to know. No, no not really. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited because I've seen a, he been, he's been talking about that series a lot. I'm excited to check it out and, and, and see what it what it actually ends up being. Mm-hmm. So and we will definitely be talking about Fight Club 2 next week anyway, because I, I will most certainly be reading that. Joe in Infernari is the artist on the bunker. So I'm sorry for mixing up those two. God uh, damn it, Bobby. Get your shit together. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> mixing up my Joe in foo. <laughs> Uh, artist. Did we even take a break this time? No. We didn't. No, we didn't. We just recorded I, right through. I haven't been taking breaks lately, Stephanie. Get with the picture, all right? You get with the picture, Bobby. <laughs> the last couple <laughs> times you've been on, I haven't taken a break. I don't know what you're... Uh, get with it. All right, so we got some more questions though, to get through really quick. Um, at Sammy Cassell, who is a Patreon member, thank you very much, Sammy, says, need help on a little direction with my elementary school comic book talks. I cover how a comic is made, um, pop culture and comics, history and comics, i.e. Cap and Wars, Ollie Superman, 9-11 Tribute, Women in Comics, and why and how I got into comics. Any other ideas to get kids involved in books? Thank you for all y'all do. Hmm. Thank you, Sammy. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, elementary school kids. Elementary school kids, yeah. What about even, I mean, it's, it's hard, and it's been something that I've been trying to think about too, but... Uh, tying in an editing kind of aspect to it. Um, Daphna Boom or from Boom Studios, I talked to her a little while ago and uh, about what an editor does and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's really cool to obviously write or draw a comic, but as an editor, you really get to direct what's the next big thing that's going to happen. You know, you're going to really vouch for an idea or, you know – kind of put something forward. And that's a really cool aspect that a lot of people don't think about. You think editor and you think of somebody who's just basically grading papers and looking over mistakes. And you often forget that the editor's the person that's like, you know, it'd be a really cool idea, this. And you're in a lot of ways a storyteller too, because you're putting together this book and you're putting together like your dream team to make this book a reality. And um, at the smaller studios, obviously, that's a bit more of a, a big thing. Uh, and at Marvel, it's different. You know, you're getting people to pitch things and um, you're going through all of that. But it's an interesting 
thing that you don't really think about, um, that it's more than just making sure, you know, deadlines are being met and kind of the, the more boring stuff um, overshadows the really, really cool things that editors get to do. Um, and, you know, they're always looking for new editors and that's a door that's open um, to a lot more people as opposed to kind of just, you know, I want to write comics and you're sitting there trying to pitch your scripts for 10 years <laughs> and trying to get someone to notice you. But editors, the doors are open to anybody who wants to apply for that. Um, and there's just really cool things you can do with it. Well, I would piggyback off that and say what Sammy might be able to do is create little teams to make their own comic books. Mm -hmm, have yeah. an editor, a writer, an artist, have everyone collaborate and someone be the final authority and give them a feeling for how the, the whole process works beginning to end. And they could create their new characters, create old ones or you know, new stories with old characters. Mm -hmm. Could be a lot of fun. Could, it's like yearbook club, but... Comics. There's nothing elementary school kids love more than big picture, how things get done ideas. <laughs> I, I mean, I think those ideas sound great. I think they're more probably more for slightly older kids though, because I don't. I, I think that he's more talking about how to get kids like into actually reading comics rather than how to get them into like the business of of, of comics. I think is I think is what he means. Mm. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, I know it's tough how you how you get. It's it's weird because it, you think there wouldn't really be a problem getting kids to relate to these kind of stories because we always think of those kind of stories as being childish in 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 many ways. Um, but I think some sort of like creative aspect to it would would be a good idea. Um, getting them involved somehow that way. Um, but I mean, all the ideas you've already gone over, Sammy, I think are are really great. So um, you obviously thought about this a lot, and, and we're just coming to it kind of fresh. Steve, I don't know if you have any ideas. Oh, man. Um, I mean, maybe as far as like, if you want to talk about exercises, I mean, Sammy, you might as you might maybe have already done this, but maybe find out what they enjoy um, from home. Like, what are some of their favorite cartoon characters? What are some of their favorite shows? And maybe go through some kind of an exercise where they can plot an adventure for that character seeing as it, it might be like familiar territory for them and teach them a little bit about uh, story structure of how story structure works in comics and then um, perhaps how it works in animation as well. Um, there are lots of comics that are based off of uh, television shows these days from Boom Studios and you know other uh, publishers that you might be able to get their attention a little bit more if they find familiar ground in the subject matter. So I would maybe play to your audience a little bit on that. And that's my, my wondrous suggestion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I think it's a good suggestion. I mean, yeah. um, there's, there's no matter. I mean, I think maybe doing something like taking a book and breaking it into parts and have, you know, the kids act out certain parts. I know like one of my favorite things when I was in that age was when we would read, kind of plays or books and there would be someone who would read you know you'd, you'd they'd assign parts yeah. and you'd read a part from each one it would always get me more invested in what i was doing because it was like i was being that person so i wanted to know m more about them um yeah i don't know i mean i think maybe having they have those great like illustrated kind of um marvel and dc like encyclopedias thing maybe bringing them in and having the kids maybe um come up with something as far as 
picking their favorite hero or picking a hero and they have to do kind of like a little like report on them or something and but again i don't know if having them do work is going to make them want to want to want to yeah. read comic books so it's a weird kind of push and pull with that with that kind of thing um show and tell old-fashioned show and tell read some comics tell the classroom yeah absolutely um all right let's see here um there was a question okay this is from at bane 137 and says which role would be perfect for matthew mcconaughey in a marvel or dc movie and this kind of comes off of um Matthew McConaughey has said in the, in the past week, I believe, that <clears throat> he has talked with Marvel and DC about being in their movies and just the right script hasn't come across his lap yet. Bob, you have any ideas? He probably would have made a great Johnny Blaze. <laughs> it's true. That said, how about the son of Satan? Yeah. Damien Helstrom. Hmm. Okay. Got that sort of lean, <laughs> hungry look about him now that he's, you know... Older, down some yeah. older and little, but still, uh, he's got that glint in his eyes that's really interesting. <laughs> so yeah, maybe he could still play a great giant blaze. They they have the they have, the, they rights have the rights back. back yeah. The rights back. They they can still do that. He would be he would be great as, as that character. Absolutely, that that would be pretty awesome. Stephanie, do you have any ideas for the the McConaughey? Maybe Animal Man. Oh, but a little Buddy Baker action. Yeah, he he has like not. I mean. A, Buddy Baker, they're fictional characters, but I could see him uh, playing that sort of character. I mean, initially, I kind of pictured him in a trench coat, kind of Constantine-ish, but not Constantine. I don't think he would make a Constantine, but, you know, smoking a cigarette. And I was like, hmm. And my first thought was like Alec Holland, mm-hmm. Swamp Thing. Also a good think, one. Yeah. Uh, and then my mind went to Buddy Baker. I think that'd be a good one. I like that a lot. I like Buddy Buddy Baker. Like Alec Holland, I think he would fit pretty well into those things i'm trying to think like about like some sort of like smooth southern gentleman uh comic book character and i can't really <laughs> that's not gambit yeah that's yes. not gambit. <laughs> i i didn't feel like he ended up being a villain in 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 some way Ooh. how about uh yeah. the buckaroo butcher if they did an adaptation of nailbiter yeah that would be cool absolutely right. yeah um i think he's asking more superhero stuff because mcconaughey said he, oh, he's been asked um, about superhero what about stuff. um nick fury Obviously not Samuel L. Jackson's, but the other Nick Fury. I mean, I don't think that they're going to do that, but that would be, I mean, absolutely, he looks like him. Enough. Oh, is he trying, is he vying for, for a role? Yeah, is he that, said that, that he's, he, he said that he's gotten several scripts and he just hasn't found the right one, but he's oh, open to doing a Marvel okay. or DC movie. Um, um, so. All right, I have to think about that for a second. I mean, he's probably a little too old at this point. He probably would have made a good Steve Trevor at, at some point yes. in his career. He's probably a little bit old now. For that, so it probably wouldn't really work um, for him in, in that. Stop way. being so old, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, come on. Stop being in your forties. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <You> ancient <laughs> by Hollywood standards. Ancient, I say. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we we don't know who McConaughey's going to play, but that will be a cool. Uh, I just really, I really hope he plays Randall Flagg in the Stand movie. I hope that actually happens. I was really bummed oh. out this week because Carrie Fukunaga, who directed True Detective, was supposed to direct the It movie. And he walked away from yeah. the project. It makes me sad. It makes me very, it makes me believe that it's not going to happen. What do you think about them going super young for the role of Pennywise? I mean, they when when they were looking at that guy, when Fukunaga was looking at that guy, he said that he just blew, came in and blew them away. Um, and if that that's fine, I mean, Pennywise, you he's not an not a person, so it's you know I don't I don't think he has to be old or young. I, I think it just matters on on you know what he brings to the role. And and if they and would it seem like they were gonna do the movie much like 
uh, the much more like the book, and he's really not the clown that often in the book. Um, right. You know, there's only a few scenes, a few choice scenes, and they're and they're, I mean, they're very scary scenes, and that's kind of his default look. But there are so many ways you see the character in, in the movie that I, I don't know if it would really even matter the age of of the character as long as the actor was good at it. Um, I I'm very passionate about that book. It's like one of my favorite yeah. books of all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I, and I just want to see it done right. I want to see a great. The fact that they were going to do two movies, and one was basically going to be when they were young, and one was going to be when they were older. Oh. I think it would have been perfect. And and not that it still can't be good, but with someone like Fukunaga doing it, who has who's did such a great job with True Detective and has such a great vision, um, and obviously was such an artist, for them to be taken away, it makes you feel like things aren't going to go the way that that you want them to. But. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I, I still hope, but they they announced like all these Stephen King adaptations a couple of years ago, and none of them seem to really have gotten in, in, in into any sort of real motion yet. I guess Cell is coming out soon. The uh, wow, that seems out of left field. It's yeah, been a long time, right? The book was four or five years ago. Longer than that, yeah. Um, I, I, John Cusack is in it. Um, I know that's coming out soon because I think that there's even a teaser out or something at this point. But or they release some images from it, so that's coming out. But and I guess they are making that uh, the uh, the Kennedy assassination one. They're making huh. a TV show out out of it. So that's that's happening. But the it and the, it and the stand. I, I really just want to see those things go. We've heard a lot from the director, but now that director got hired to make the New Mutants movie for Fox. So I don't know what that means for the other project. Is that really stalled? Like what's happening? I, I don't know what's going on. So. This has been your Stephen King Minute for, yeah. for the Talking Comics podcast. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us, please, at Talking Comics uh, uh, on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. That is the email address. Please go to TalkingComicBooks.com for all our columns, our reviews, and, of course, our bevy of podcasts. The Misfits with Stephanie Cook, Melissa Megan, and Mara Wood. Um, did you guys put out a show this week? We had a holiday weekend, so I know that... Mm-hmm. No, we did. Um, Mara had two weddings, and oh, okay. Melissa was absolutely like jam packed with mm. stuff. So we we just took a week off. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right, so look for it next week. Uh, the Misfits will yep. be back. Um, we've got Talking Valiant. They just celebrated their year anniversary. So check out that show if you're really really into Valiant. Um, Talking Movies with Brian Verderosa, Chris Oliphant, and Nick Scalia. They put out their Mad Max Fury Road review. Make sure you check. I saw it. By the way, it's so good. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, you can check out, of course, um, Talking Games, uh, Steve Say, uh, Justin Townsend, Rob Newmeyer, and Jackie Turner. Uh, Steve obviously is in Canada, so he will not be on that show this week. Uh, I can't seem to stay on that show lately. No. <laughs> it's, it's been crazy. Um, yeah. And I don't know if uh, – has Justin had his baby yet? No, we're still on no. Baby Watch with Justin. Oh. So Justin will also not, not uh, be on. Justin's pregnant? Justin is yeah. pregnant, yeah. His second time oh, he's been pregnant. <laughs> History <laughs> being made. Um, <laughs> but he's expecting the baby any day now. It's really supposed to be any day. Um, so he won't be on the show either. I th- I'm pretty sure I'm going to be on... Get your shit together, Justin! Uh, tomorrow again. <laughs> Have that baby! <laughs> I was on last week, uh, and I assume we'll be talking mostly about what we talked about last week, which was about The Witcher 3, which we've all oh. been playing. Oh, I've played it for like five minutes. I, I need nausea. to get back to it. Um, been fantastic. So we'll probably t- end up talking about that a little bit. And check out the special edition feed, which has backup stories and comics and coffee on it as well. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve, 
Uh, my personal Twitter is at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? At hello cookie. Bob. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Just put that in Twitter. Put it at before that. And yeah, does that work? And I don't think I think it's no. too many characters. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that they accept that as, as as a Twitter name. But that would be really funny if that was your Twitter name, Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. <laughs> and this whole time we've just been fooling people that you don't have a Twitter. Um, so yeah, uh, Bob, do you have anything to to interject? Nope. 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 I'm just. He told me that as long as I ask him, he's never going to interject. So I'm just always going to ask you from now on, so that you. Uh, know, no, it's say, a ploy. Yeah. Oh, yeah I'll have to come back to this somehow. Yes, definitely. Um, I just posted up a video too a while back in September. You guys might remember that I was on a panel with a bunch of other ladies, uh, freelancing in the geek industry, um, and that video of the the full panel's finally been released. Um, so I, I posted a link to it. Um, on Twitter and it's on my uh, personal website too. So if you guys are interested in that, I've had a lot of people ask about it. Um, so if you want to watch that panel, it is available now. Um, and you can find that uh, under my writings section, which is basically just links um, at stephaniecook.ca. All right. Awesome. Um, and that's going to do it for the talking comics podcast for this week for Bob. Good night, Steve. Catch you next time. And Stephanie. Goodbye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. <laughs>